spins a web any size. Catches seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. My name is John Wilson, and with me tonight are Spider Jeopardy author Josh Bertoni. You can buy my book on Amazon.com. If it doesn't show up in the search engine, well, pooey to you. <laughs> also, we have Batman and Simpsons guru Don Grant. <laughs> How y'all doing? And of course, I want to remind you that Amazing Spider-Man Classics is brought to you, as always, by Roll2Play, your online vendor for games and gaming accessories. This last month and through Valentine's Day, they are offering a 15% off discount on all Steve Jackson products, featuring the line of Munchkin card games. And also, they have a Munchkin bobblehead for all you fans of the games out there, because it's dangerous out there. And you need a buddy. So the Munchkin Bobblehead will watch your back during your adventures, nodding encouragement to help you through the tough patches and congratulating you on your treasure. So that is available at Roll2Play.com. You can also find the store on Facebook if you search Roll2Play, all one word, spelled with the number 2. This is episode 25 of the show, guys. Quarter century old. Check it out. Not only is this the 25th episode, but in this episode and the next, we are going to be drawing the curtain on Steve Ditko's seminal run on Amazing Spider-Man. And to commemorate that event, we have with us a special guest co-host. This man has been a supporter of the show from its inception, both friendship-wise and through giving the show's website a great Spidey-centric look. Let's welcome my brother, Jim Wilson, to the show. Yay! Hey, everybody. So devoted to the show that he changed his last name to match his favorite host. Right. I love you, John. I love you too, Jim. <laughs> Jim is nearing the end of visual design school and has a website of some of his work. So if you want to go over there and take a look, he is at jimwilsondesigns.com. He has a great imagination and a great eye for designs. And we're glad to have him on the show. Oh, thank you. The website needs an update, but there's there's some cool stuff there, I think. Before we get into the books that we have for us today, why don't we take a moment, Jim, and tell us a little bit about your history with comics and uh, how you got into them. I know that I already know part of the story, but everyone else doesn't. And uh, also uh, Spider-Man in particular. Did you mention in that intro that we're brothers? Did I? Yeah, he did. He yeah, did. He did. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, we're yeah. still brothers, uh, right? I mean, like, like even now, five <laughs> minutes later. Well, like, they didn't know this when they met because... Uh, John was saving Jim because he was prisoner on the Death Star, and they kind of had this will they or won't they thing for a few years. But then, you know, they had to tie everything up, so they found out that they were brothers. Yeah, there was a little bit of romantic tension early on, but once we found out the whole sibling thing, you know, that was yeah. John. John is my but brother. You but you kissed on Hoth. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, you, you think it was weird? He's such a scoundrel. <laughs> <laughs> Who's scruffy looking? Hey, now I shaved it. <laughs> so we already have incest. <laughs> well, Spider-Man was one of, if not the first comics I ever read. Our uh, our dad, as you know, had a, those little paperback collections of the first uh, 20 or so issues of uh, Amazing Spider-Man. And he gave those to us. And that was sort of our introduction to comics. And around that same time, uh, the Batman movie came out. And I became obsessed with Batman then and, and since. I don't really follow Batman like the monthly book anymore, but he's uh, my favorite superhero character, and I'm always looking for the trades. 
Um, as for Spider-Man, I've mostly kept up with what's going on with him through you and uh, the stories that you thought were interesting and, and told me about and suggested that I read. Um, but again, I don't, I don't really follow monthly books very much. So what are some of the, um, the books that you're currently following? I, I, you're not really into superheroes as much. You do a lot of the other t- kinds of titles, right? Yeah. As far, well, there are a couple. Well, Hellboy, I don't know if you consider Hellboy a superhero or not, but uh, I love Hellboy. I love Mike Mignola. Also, Madman by Mike Allred. Not a traditional superhero book, but it's excellent. I'm, I mainly go for art. I love uh, Doug Tenapel. He's best known as the creator of Earthworm Jim, but he has a whole series of self-published books that he, he writes and draws, and they're excellent. Anything by Ben Templesmith. He's most famous for drawing 30 Days of Night and Wormwood and stuff like that. Um, and then I love the classics, like uh, anything by Neil Gaiman, you know, The Sandman, Alan Moore, all that stuff. Okay, well, good deal. Yeah, you actually... Um have turned me on to some artists. I know that Mike Mignola is a name that I learned through you. I've since come to recognize his, his work and some other stuff. Uh, he did some Superman work. I don't know whether he's done any Spider-Man or not. Uh, Ooh, that would be cool to see. But I know he's done some Superman. There's a four-issue mini from the late, late 80s called Cosmic Odyssey, where Superman and Martian Manhunter and... One of the Green Lanterns and several other characters go off to stop basically the universe from being destroyed. And it's a pretty good story. It would be one of those you could just throw away and never think about, except that the Green Lantern is so cocky in that that an entire planet ends up being destroyed because <laughs> um, <laughs> he thinks he can handle something and then suddenly he comes up against it and it's yellow and so he can't. <laughs> yeah. And that character, John Stewart, that scarred him for life. And I heard someone else say that there are events in that story that are feeding into recent Green Lantern events with the whole Blackest Night thing that went on uh, last year. So, mm-hmm. um, and then Mike Allred, uh, I saw, I, you know, you had the Madman stuff, but you and I, f- around the same time, found his X Force stuff. Yes. From the early 2000s. And I really liked that. I know that a lot of X Force fans at the time hated the transition, but I really liked that run. Yeah, it's it's really good stuff. Um, I think I benefited from not really having much personal investment in all the billions of X books that were out at that time. So when they took one and just totally, you know, fracked with it, I was I was okay with that. <laughs> um, one one other thing about uh, our Spider-Man history, I think it, it might be important to note that when uh, Todd McFarlane started drawing Spider-Man and got his own book for a little while, that was a uh, that was a really big deal there in the, the early 90s, and that, uh, definitely caught my interest for the character. Yeah, that was he started right before we started collecting. I was able to get back issues of his Spider-Man series, because I think we came in when issue like six or seven was new, and I was able to go back and get that first five-issue story, which his storytelling is not the best. Uh, yeah, he actually only lasted not. like 13 issues on that book before he quit. Uh, I think he went off to do Image at that time, or maybe that was later, I don't know. And his Venom drawings were just insane. Yeah. The way the jaw would come like three feet out from his head. And, you know, coming from Steve Ditko art, being our only Spider-Man, to going right. to the comic book shop and picking up new Spider-Man and seeing Todd McFarlane. On it blew our minds. Yeah. <laughs> and Eric Larson on, on Amazing was also really good at the time. And Sal Buscema on Spectacular it took me a while to look to grow out into. I don't know if you've ever looked up his name. on. on in, uh, er- Eric Larson was drawing Amazing? Yeah. Doesn't. Doesn't he do Goon? I don't know if he does Goon. He's the guy who does Savage Dragon. 
Oh, okay, no. Different, different, okay. I think. Well, cool. Well, yeah, um, your interest in Daredevil is one of the reasons I thought it'd be cool to have you on for these two episodes, because in addition to the um, Spider-Man 37 and 38 that we're going to be doing these next two episodes, there's also Ramita's debut on the character in Daredevil 16 and 17, which ran concurrently. So we're going to be looking at, in this particular episode, the books that came out in March 1966, which are Daredevil 16 and Amazing Spider-Man 37. And then we'll do the other one of each series next episode. We will not be covering your emails this time around, but do continue to write into the show, and we will be um, reporting on your reports of our reportings in a future episode. That's a nice so- way to say it, because we don't have any emails. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You weren't supposed to tell them that. I got something from a Nigerian prince again. Oh, did you? That Nigerian <laughs> prince with the really that was, that was awesome, me. with the really awesome grammar. Okay, so starting out, here we are with our comics for the evening. First up is Daredevil sixteen. Now, just setting the stage, just a teeny weeny bit here. Um, Johnny Ramita has been providing art for this book since issue twelve. He had some help with from Jack Kirby for the first few issues. He's done a couple on his own, and at this point, the way I understand it, things have gotten bad enough between Stan Lee and Steve Ditko that Stan is seeing the writing on the wall. So he has Ramita give his hand at drawing Spider-Man in the Daredevil book, and that way, if it sucks or Johnny hates it, then hey, it wasn't in Spidey's main title, so no big loss. But as it turns out, Ramita was awesome on Spider-Man, and we'll see what happens next as we move along. I, I, heard, I heard something slightly different. The way I understood it was that because um, the title had a Daredevil's title had a rotating list of artists anyway. It had Wally Wood, Joe Orlando, Jack Kirby, as you said. No one stayed on it for very long. We're 16 issues in, and the books had four or five artists. Yeah, yeah. I thought that um, Ramita was just uh, another Daredevil artist, and because it was an issue with Spider-Man. He was well. Well, you did. You worked on Spider-Man. You know, basically how the character is and how James Jones, Jameson, and Outman, Peter Parker are. So he put them on ASM. Not specifically, he put them on Daredevil to try them out for ASM. But you know, that that could very well be the case. I don't. I don't want to contradict that because I've just not heard that. But um. Well, your idea might be more consistent with um, other reports that Steve Ditko's departure was completely unexpected. That yeah, that's, that's the, the main thing I heard. I heard um basically he came in one day, uh, turned in his final issue. Said to whoever was in the office, I'm guessing it was Flo Steinberg, said, I quit, and left out the door. And then Flo Steinberg spat out her coffee and said, Stan, come in for a minute, please. (laughs) With her Betty Brett hair. Exactly. (laughs) John Romita is also a lot younger than all of those other artists that you mentioned that had been – because those guys all worked on EC Comics, you know, 15 years earlier. Right. Ditko had been, at this point, um, been doing art for over 15 years. He was about 40 years old. And Romita had been in the game. He he had, he mainly romance. worked on romance artists at the time. Yeah, um, the romance books, kind of. I think he was kind of bored with romance books, though, before he brought, got brought over to superheroes. He was he was good. <laughs> he was bored on romance books, so hey, let's put him on Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> so let's put him on men in long underwear. Oh, Foggy! Oh, Karen! Oh, Matt! Oh, Foggy! Oh, Karen! Oh, oh! when is Mr. Murdoch going to propose to me? Karen, will you marry me? Oh, Mr. Nelson, I'm in love with Mr. Murdoch! Why doesn't Karen love me? Yeah, let, let's put the guy who's tired of romance books on that book. <laughs> <laughs> he does have a really appealing style for drawing uh, faces and, and human characters, so I could see how he'd work really well in romance. A lot of, a lot like of very um, logging faces. Kind of 
long hanging like single tiered like like nurse and stuff. I I've seen some covers. I'm not read that much of his uh, romance stuff. Though I'd love to, but definitely it it definitely you can see why he would be there. So being that, however it was, we can only guess and you know tie together things we've heard. Um, Daredevil 16 was released on March 3rd, 1966, with a cover date of May. The cover has a gray cityscape in the background. We're high up, and two bold color figures are Daredevil leaping to attack Spider-Man, who is mid-swing on his web. I'm guessing it's an attack. It could be a love leap. Yeah? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Spider-Man's fist is like, why I yada? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's kind of how things run with romances in Spider-Man. It, but the, <laughs> the catch- <laughs> He's got lube on that fist. <laughs> Which is helpful because the caption reads, Enter Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This Warning podcast has been rated R. <laughs> it is not for general audiences. <laughs> well, we know that's not what they meant, or though this would never pass the comics code, right? <laughs> well, here comes Daredevil. <laughs> oh, the man without fear. Oh, Jesus Christ. Open up to the splash page, and we have Spider-Man up on a wall with Daredevil throwing his billy club. It hits the wall just above Spidey and ricochets. The captions read, Daredevil, the man without fear. Enter Spider-Man, also introducing the mystery of the masked marauder. Who is a Bugs Bunny uh, cartoon. Was this his first appearance? Yes, it is. He's a Bugs Bunny cartoon character? Well, there was a Bugs Bunny cartoon where Bugs Bunny actually played the masked marauder. Oh, nice. Yeah. I guess we know where Stan was, what Stan was watching that morning. <laughs> Um, it's kind of cool that Spidey's here at the beginning of the Mass Marauder story because we're going to be coming back to Daredevil at the end of the Mass Marauder story because Spider-Man's in that issue as well. And another caption reads, Another minor masterpiece in the mildly magnificent Marvel Manor. Sagacious script by Stan Lee. Phantasmagoric inking by Frankie Ray, nay Jacoya. Lacrimose lettering by Artie Semek. Nuff said. Wait, wait. Phantasmagoric penciling by John Romita. Iconographic inking by Frankie Ray. You are totally right. I wrote it down wrong. So, you can yeah. mix those two into one. <clears throat> I did. I totally nixed Johnny Romita, the whole point of the story, out of the um, the credits. <laughs> who, who drew this again? <laughs> Why, well, Steve Dinko, of course. <laughs> no, I Jack mean, no, Kirby? excuse me, Jack Kirby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't really know why they list Frank Jacoya as both his real name and his pseudonym here. That's a little weird, but oh well. Because his real name is Frank Jacoya, but he went by Frankie Ray for a little while. Actually, but that's uh, strange because there's a lot of pseudonyms um, in the comic art, especially around com- comic world, especially around this era. With Stan Lee and Jack Kirby are pseudonyms in and of themselves. I know, but it says both. It says Frankie Ray, nay Jaco- Jacoya. Like yeah, Frank- yeah. I, I'm asking, why, why would they put down both? Uh, identities. It's very I don't strange. Know, it's weird. But anyways, we open with blind lawyer Matt Murdock, who's blind. In case you didn't know, uh, we <laughs> Can saw. He see? No, he he's blind. He's blind to everything around him, including the love of his blonde secretary. Well, I hope <laughs> that nobody's like insensitive to him by saying, "Oh, there's something awesome on the TV." Too bad that you can't see it. <laughs> hey, Matt, let's go to the circus. A purely visually <laughs> simulating form of entertainment. <laughs> Um, would you want to know anything what's going on in the circus, Matt? I mean, you're here, sitting next to us. No, no, just don't mind me. I'm the little blind guy. So, uh, we, we had seen him in the reference in the issue we're referencing, issue number 16, um, and then once or twice briefly, I think, since then, like a panel or two. Um, he is secretly Daredevil, in case you didn't notice, and he's in his law office with partner Foggy Nelson and pretty blonde secretary Karen Page. They're watching a news report of Spider-Man fighting the Masked Marauders gang. 
evidently though they're they're still photographs they're it's not video footage which is kind of strange to show on television but they mutter about how spidey always has a photographer nearby and matt fills in the irony gaps by thinking so many of that web slinger's exploits have been photographed you'd almost think he sets up an automatic camera and takes the pics himself (laughs) you've been reading too many fantasy stories lately amazing fantasy <laughs> Thank goodness for that psychic blind spot. It's retroactive. Radioactive? Retro. <laughs> so, they're watching coverage of a Spidey adventure that has happened off page, and the conversation turns to who is more awesome, Spider Man or Daredevil. Foggy says some rude stuff about Daredevil that upsets Karen because he has saved her life before. And Foggy gets all mopey about Karen being less impressed by him than by Daredevil. Many thanks, Marvelite, for staying with us during the Hearts and Flowers portion of our yarn. But now your patience is about to be rewarded as we visit the mysterious Masked Marauder, who's this guy all dressed in purple, including a purple mask helmet job with a black visor over his eyes. He's and a purple pissed. hanky in front. Yeah, yeah curtain. hanky. What's well, purple now? It'll be white next episode. Yeah, which makes it look even funnier. I know, right? <laughs> so um, he's kind of pissed about Spider-Man getting in his way. So he has a bunch of flunkies dressed as Daredevil to distract Spidey from his next caper. <laughs> One of, of them... Course. Of course. It's brilliant. One of them walks out saying he doesn't want to tangle with Spider-Man, so the Marauder temporarily blinds him for his imp- <laughs> sends out the rest of his gang. That <laughs> Daredevil, blind. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I didn't even get that. He's now blind in his fake Daredevil. <laughs> You'll get it next issue. Awesome. <laughs> oh, sometime later, an amazing figure swings effortlessly amongst the towering rooftops of the world's greatest city, but his spider sense warns him to dodge a billy club launched in his general direction. He turns and sees Daredevil, but when he gives chase to find out what's going on, Daredevil disappears around a corner. He is actually one of the thugs, and has ducked into a truck, signaling the marauder that he's found Spider-Man. And at the Mystery Man's headquarters, the Masked Marauder alerts the other fake Daredevils in the area. But what about the real Daredevil? Let's visit Matt Murdock and find out that he's finishing up work for the day and getting ready to respond to reports that Daredevil had been spotted in the city. Because obviously, if he's at the office <laughs> and he's hearing about Daredevil out there, something's a muck and he needs to find As Karen Page is like lying down on yeah. the desk, like unbuttoning her clothes, saying, Oh, I sure wish somebody would love me. <laughs> well, 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 good luck with that, Karen. <laughs> I can't see you because I'm blind. <laughs> oh, Matt, Matt, you big goof. Can't you even take a hint? Why can't he feel about me the way I do about him? Won't he ever ask to date me? Karen's been going to the Betty Brand School of Acting. He has the exact same person. It's lonely being a legal intern. <laughs> right? She's not a legal intern. She's a secretary who becomes Oh, a that's better. And, and that's not a Josh Bertoni making stuff up for the sake of making it up. She does become a porn star and a junkie. Yeah. Uh, is she? Yeah, she does. Oh, you don't know. She dies. <laughs> Aren't you the Daredevil fan? Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we read Daredevil before this happened. Um, oh. Which is the beginning of the second series and she shows up on Matt's doorstep strung out. Well, it, that is, I mean, again, in, the, in, the, in the 80s and Born Again, that was when, like... She, she's, a, she's, a, she's a porn star who is a heroin addict and sells Daredevil's identity, which she found out to a flunky who gets to the kingpin who subsequently destroys Matt's life. Spoiler alert. In the early 90s, either Karen was off the page or had gotten her life oh. straightened out temporarily. Yeah. When I started reading Daredevil, he didn't know who he was and was living in Hell's Kitchen. 
And I don't remember. It was a long time before he got back to being a lawyer. Oh, that, that was after Born Again, I think. Yeah, okay. yeah, it was after Miller did Born Again. Okay. But, uh, well, we I have really, the apps. <laughs> we didn't really know what all had happened in the 80s and the early 90s because there was no easy way to find out. Yeah, that was before the internet. <laughs> we started reading the first Spider-Man comic that I bought was cover dated November 1990. Yeah. <laughs> I started buying Batman comics in November of 89. Yeah, when the movie came out. Yeah, because the movie came out that summer. That would have been around like the uh, Brave Vogel Alan Grant days, I believe. Yeah, we had the um, the trilogy uh, right before Tim Drake puts on the costume. We had the trilogy, the Scarecrow trilogy, leading into Oh, that. nice! Very I think those nice. were our very, very first Batman comics, <laughs> where the homeless people are disappearing and they try and feed Vicky Vale like a dead rat or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's also when they started that awesome uh, Legends of the Dark Knight series. Yes, that was all uh, short story arcs out of continuity. That was good. Uh, what, no, wasn't wasn't it um, short story arcs? I guess it could be out of continuity, but they were like in early Batman. Batman's early early in his career. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it was hard to know whether they were in or out of continuity. I think Legends of the Dark Knight had that problem for a lot of its run. Is that's is probably this. true. Well, and some, some stuff got some of more like Venom. Like Venom wasn't yeah. continuity because that set up Nightfall. Yeah, yeah, Venom. Like when Venom came out, though, I don't think it was really intended to have like this big influence on the series. But then later on, they incorporated into the. End of the series and Bane and all of that. Oh, no. So speaking of Daredevil. Um, <laughs> Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> we always do this. Page. <laughs> so Daredevil is swinging out as the real Daredevil. And as he's doing so, Spider-Man spots him with his spider signal. And he isn't happy, having been hounded and hassled by more fake Daredevils in the meantime. He is past the desire for rational conversation and begins throwing insults and punches at the Crimson Crime Fighter. He's so mad he's talking in yellow. I know, right? <laughs> well, that's because he says in the yellow bubble that he liked the yellow costume better. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It matched his yellow streak. What, what an insult that is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Daredevil is surprised that Spider-Man is suddenly so hostile to him, just, you know, out of nowhere. But it isn't long before he starts giving back as good as he's getting. And as you might imagine, the sight of two swingers like Dee Dee and Spidey battling on the rooftops is apt to cause something of a stir. And so a police officer down below is calling in for a riot squad. And in another part of town, the mass marauder sets Plan W into motion. <laughs> he leads his purple costume gang to the World Trade Center, where he plans to steal the plans for the newest, most powerful auto engine. Ever. Wait, 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 wait. Are you serious? Yes. Is, is it not the World yeah. Motor Center? Do they change it later? Because I thought it was World Trade Center at the first. It was World Motor yeah. Center's the entire yeah. story I had. Yeah, yeah I, I see Motor Centers. Uh, he leads his purple costume gang to the World Motor Center, where he plans <laughs> to steal the... Sorry. <laughs> if this is Plan W, does that mean Plans A through V were just so bad and such failures that we didn't even bother to hear about them? I think Plan it's U plans. is the one that Spider-Man was messing up in the, in the opening newscast. <laughs> Well, it's W for World Motor Centers. Like, you know, he's got, he's, it's kind of like Sesame Street. Don't got, don't, like, don't give a simple in the box explanation, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's not how comics work. That's not how comics work. But anyway, so yeah, he's stealing an auto engine. Um, I hope he has something more impressive planned after that. Because uh, not even the engine plans for the engine. Just the plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> He didn't well, have his I mean, The Way Things Work book at home, so he just went out and stole it. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the carburetor goes. And 
I mean, don't they have backup plans? Like, or, like I'm not going to go into the details of the heist. We can talk about that more in the notes if anyone wants to. But suffice to say, it goes off almost without a hitch. There's a security guard at one point where they take care of him. And the mass marauder rejoices in his own awesomeness at keeping Spider-Man and Daredevil distracted. Changing scene back to the fight, we get the standard Daredevil inner monologue. Oh, I wonder what his reaction would be if he knew he was mixing it up with a sightless man. Because that's irony. And Spidey is beginning <laughs> to have second That's thought. not irony. That's curiosity. No, that, that, that's like out of nowhere. He, he's like, if I hadn't rolled with his punches, it would be all over by now. And then he's thinking, well, I wonder what he, think, he would be thinking if he thought, knew he was fighting a blind guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's I don't know, it's mind-wandering. It's like, I wonder what Jim Wilson would think if he knew that I had brownish-black hair. <laughs> <laughs> so Spidey's beginning to have second thoughts about all this. When Daredevil tags a pole behind him with his billy club, and then begins swinging around and around, wrapping Spidey to the pole with, with the rope from his club. Awesome. Uh, now Spidey will have to tell him the truth because everyone knows that if you're tied up in Daredevil's club, you have to tell the truth. It's the club rope. That's the kind of club Daredevil runs. <laughs> Daredevil yeah. takes the time to tell Spidey off and get away, and then Spider-Man breaks free almost immediately. But Daredevil. But he does say, if you've anything else to say, write a letter. Words that he'll regret in a few issues. Oh yes, he will. Oh, I didn't write anything down about that. We're going to be sure to remember to talk about that. But not right now. That's next issue stuff. Spider-Man breaks free almost immediately, but Daredevil has gotten away. So Peter Parker shows his face at his two-story frame house in Forest Hills the next morning to his doting Aunt May. She's been slacking, evidently, on the early morning breakfast preparation. And she's noticed that Peter won't do it for himself, so now she's up making oatmeal. Peter eats and goes to the bugle, where Jonah balls him out for missing the mass marauder's heist the day before. Peter immediately suspects Daredevil of intentionally diverting him with their fight. And Matt Murdock, seeing the same headlines, gets the same suspicion of Spider-Man. <laughs> he can't see the headline. <laughs> oh, yeah. He hears about it. <laughs> extra, extra. He touches it. No, he hears a news guy yelling. Looks going back a page, you guys see how pretty Peter Parker is? And I was about to say, this is the first time that John Romita has drawn Peter Parker, and he's he is quite a looker. Yeah. <laughs> he's a handsome man. <laughs> I guess those clubs. I agree with Liz. <laughs> and so Matt Murdock, not seeing the same headlines, gets the same suspicion of Spider-Man. We learn from the Mass Marauder that the theft of the plans was only the first step in his master plan. He could sell them, but he won't yet. And finally, our story wraps with Spider-Man swinging through New York, trying to get a Spider-Sense lead on the Marauder. But instead, he senses Daredevil nearby. He gets to the office of Nelson and Murdoch and attacks Foggy Nelson, accusing him of being Daredevil. Dun, dun, dun. Da, 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 da. Yeah, because that guy's not, like, fat and out of shape and short or anything. I know, right? And then, and then Matt, Matt says, he actually thinks Foggy's me. My poor brilliant partner hasn't a chance against him. I can't stand idly by while Foggy's in danger, but I can't help him without revealing my secret forever. <laughs> Which, he you know, thought that really quickly. Because well, Spider-Man was punching Foggy in the face. And, and <laughs> him out the window, as we're going to see next episode. <laughs> Real quick, um, I guess I guess this could be in the notes section. Like two pages before that, when uh, they're reading the newspaper, um, Daredevil helps Mass Marauder possibly, and Matt says, "There's no way Daredevil could do it. He has no connections to Mass Marauder. He just possibly can't." Foggy says, "How do you know?" He's like, "I don't know." <laughs> it's like, 
I just have a hunch. That's all. That, that was like really crappy, <laughs> crappy storytelling. Blinds man, blind man's intuition. <laughs> See, if he uses like his handicap as an excuse, everyone will be like too uncomfortable to call him on it because like no one wants oh. to say blind men don't have intuition because then it's like. Just say, there are some things I can see, Foggy. <laughs> Everyone knows like, so the Uncomfortably team. quiet after that. <laughs> <laughs> Want to go to the circus? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Matt, how many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> <laughs> he does the Spock Vulcan salute, yeah. <laughs> or the finger. Yeah, or the finger. <laughs> Okay, so I really liked this issue, actually. I know that Daredevil is so dramatic and melodramatic and over-the-top in these early days, but um, I thought this was a great story for both Daredevil and Spider-Man. I concur. Although, if you go to the opening pages where they're watching the news, those first drawings of Spider-Man, I'm not super keen on. Especially yeah. the one where he's just looking at the camera at the last panel of the page. Hi, I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> He's like, that's Peter's own camera that's taking the picture. So he just like looks at his own camera and waves and keeps going. <laughs> He's got like very small eyes on that one. Yeah, and the webs are funky and the head is the wrong shape. I don't know. It's just, it's not great. But it gets better as you go through. You can yeah, tell it's, like- it's Ramita trying to do what he thinks he should be doing. I mean, it's not, it's Ramita handicapping himself for the sake of the, for the sake of the image. And you, you know, I mean, it's, it, I, I agree it's not the best, but... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fault the guy. The the splash page does not look like traditional Ramita Spidey. It looks it looks more Ditko than Ramita. Yeah, in these early pages, he definitely looks like he's trying to do Ditko. Well, I think Ditko had a lot more webbing on Spider-Man's costume, and Ramita, his webbing was a lot more um was, was a lot more broad and, and right. less uh, detailed. That's that's how you can tell right away. Are we also talking anatomy or just just the actual details of the design? Oh, design, yeah. Not anatomy this time, John, so calm down. <laughs> I meant, like, you know, the, the way his body is shaped and posing and everything. Isn't anatomy the term for that? Or physiology or something? I don't know. Yeah, the pose on the splash page is somewhat awkward for John Romita, Spidey's pose. Yeah, but he definitely improves as he goes through. Yeah, def- certainly. There is a part on page four. I think that as I read through Marvel Comics, you know, sort of in publishing order, you'll see words that will show up in every issue that month. And page four, panel five, at the bottom, where Marauder's telling his Daredevil game to go, he's thinking, what a perfect plan. So satanic, and it's sheer <laughs> I remember that. And I remember when I read this, there were like three other books that month that also had the word satanic in it. And next month, we're going to have another one. I'll wait for, I'll wait for the big reveal next episode. That's a great, so satanic, and it's sheer simplicity. That's the best thing ever. Because Satan loves simple. He's very into the feng shui. Satan's a Quaker. (laughs) (laughs) He's all about being up front with things, you know, and not long and drawn out. Right. Matt finds out that Foggy's in love with Karen for like the ninth time in the series. One thing about early Daredevil is like, like, here, let me go to the page. He says, if I ever doubted how Foggy feels about her, it was just spelled out for me now. Every few issues of early Daredevil, Matt would realize for the first time that, oh my gosh, Foggy likes Karen too. Like, there's yeah. one issue where Foggy's kind of being flirty, and Matt thinks, he likes Karen, this is going to complicate things. Then there's another one where Foggy comes into the office with an engagement ring, and he's like, I'm going to give this to Karen. And Matt's like, no, he's in love with her too? This oh, is totally going to mess up the relationship with the girl I haven't asked out yet. <laughs> Not asked out. Like, have Alzheimer's. <laughs> not asked out like proposed to like within the first few issues of the series they're both thinking 
nah, not how am I going to date Karen? Like, how am I going to propose to Karen? And Karen's <laughs> thinking the same thing. She's like, why hasn't Matt proposed to me yet? And it's like, because you haven't dated yet. But that's how it was in those early Silver Age Marvel's yeah. Guide to Women. Meet them, <laughs> ask them to marry you. <laughs> oh. They got their lessons from You want to go get some coffee or get married or something? <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, Ned Leeds, you know, took his sweet time with Betty Brands. I mean, good lord. Right. <laughs> Comparatively, yeah. It was like their fourth time to be seen together in the comics whenever he proposes to her. <laughs> I know. I mean, she wasn't getting any younger. <laughs> Page seven, the last panel, Spider-Man shines his spider signal on Daredevil. And there's going to be a letter writer who calls him on the fact that Daredevil, instead of looking towards Spider-Man's voice or toward where his radar sense tells him Spider-Man is... He Uh-oh. looks toward the wall where the spider signal is displayed. Which and the explanation that they give in response to the letter doesn't even make sense because they say that the, the light is shining and that's a heat source that blazes like an inferno for Daredevil. But no, no, no. This is reflected light. And yet yeah. there's a little bit of heat there, but the much bolder heat source would be the source of the light, which, again, would be in the direction of Spider-Man. So, um, well, looking at that panel, I don't see a contradiction. Like, his yeah, head he, is he, towards he, the light, but, I mean, that just happens to be where his body is facing. In the dialogue, it's not explicated that he is recognizing the light. So, but it's, I, I think it's another artist slash writer discrepancy. But I think that they that Stanley covered his butt pretty well in, in the panel, not not the letter. I don't know what the letter says. Yeah, and the, the the letter, there's no need. Like he he says Spider Man, and he sounds mad. And after he hears the sound of Spider Man's voice, I don't know. It looks to me like he's looking at the signal. But Daredevil's also not you know casting a shadow in that light. That's Oh, that's true. That's shining around him. That's because the bulb in the light is made from unstable molecules. Because <laughs> Daredevil's blind. <laughs> yeah, he's, everyone knows that blind people don't cast shadows. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to get a letter from this. Like, he got to dicks to rape victims, wives, women in general, blind people. And we're like, yes, we are. We hate all people equally. <laughs> like Nora Winters. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, the battle between Spider-Man and Daredevil in this one, I think the one in the next, next issue, I like the fact that they, they kind of really, um, it seems like whenever Spider-Man goes, goes up against somebody in these early issues, it's always either to a standstill or he's always like, wow, this person's strong. My punch and web still even face him. But this one, I kind of like how they really make a point to say that Daredevil can barely stand up against him. He, yes. He's always he's always going as as hard as he can to like not get completely killed and even in the next issue, just dodging and rolling with the punches completely wipes him out. And he, he really makes the point that um, in a straight-up fight, he can't last very much against him. This is this is carried over way into the 80s in the, the Sin Eater arc with Peter David's Spike Spidey. Which, and it's used to great effect, I think. Yeah. No, I, I definitely... I mean, you expect thugs to be surprised by Spider-Man's strength and they get knocked out and everything. But, but to have another superhero acknowledging that Spidey is a pretty powerful guy, I, I like that too. Well, and Daredevil just has like normal human strength. So Spidey would be yeah. a hell of a lot stronger than he is. Yeah. Which, which, uh, that's always, I always like that about Daredevil. He has all these amazing abilities, but none of them enhance his fighting ability whatsoever. It's all... I, I, I like that quite a lot. and Which is why um, on page 15, when he wraps Spider-Man around the with his cable rope, I thought that was pretty cool. I, I, like, the way he did that, I really yeah. thought he did this. And then he just jumps off the building and swings around. I thought that was very inspired. And the, and the art's great, too. I mean, that scene, that la- that big panel on page 15... Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I was I was I was like, wow, look at that, that's pretty awesome. But then Spider-Man just breaks it all and goes goes home. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of pretty Peter Parker, we do get to see how John Romita takes his hand at some of the um, supporting characters of Spidey's book with Aunt May and Jonah. 
And while I'm partial to Steve Ditko's Jonah, just because that's one I grew up with and that huge ass grin that he has in the 1718-19 trilogy, you know, that's just that's just part of who Jonah is to me. But I do really like John Romita's Jonah as well. Probably my yeah. second favorite. Romita's Jonah is all is almost always teeth. His teeth teeth are always almost always clenched. Right. Which I, I, I think he was looking at Ditko when he did that, but it's a very Romita distinctive thing, and I think it's really great. He's also been quoted as saying that he like he tends to give people like toothpaste smiles as he calls them because they're always like smiling. I, don't, I, don't, I guess they look, they look like teeth, toothbrush ads or something like that. Right. Right. And um, in the Daily Bugle uh, scene, there's no Betty Brant present, so this story slides in nicely between the issues that we've been reading. Thank God. <laughs> well, if Betty and Karen Page were ever in like the same place at the same time, the Silver Age Marvel might explode. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, hi. My name is Betty Brant. Hi. My name is Karen Page. That's a <laughs> it's like, um, have you ever seen that episode of Family Guy where Lois's father-in-law and the family, no, Lois's father and the family doctor in like the same place at the same time? I'm not seeing that. I haven't seen both, that either. Both of the characters have the exact same voice. Mm. And, and they basically called, the show called itself on that, like, when they had them appear. <laughs> that. I don't know. I, 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 I ruined the joke, but yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I like that the, when they go on that heist and they use that goofy pipe that comes out of the van. The high, the high they just magically shoot up. Yeah. I know, right? There's, like, no way for that to be stored in the van, but suddenly it's, it's there. <laughs> I can imagine that in the cartoon. Uh, the whole misunderstanding, like two Marvel heroes each think that the other one's evil and they're fighting each other. I, I know at this point in 2011 it's a cliche, but I think at this point in 1966 it's a cliche. Right. Yeah. Especially with Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Now, Spider-Man has mostly been in his own book. Whenever he runs into other people, it's been in his own book. Uh, he's only appeared very briefly in other places, with the with with Strange Tales Annual Number Two being a big exception to that. Mm-hmm. So um, this is the first time that we've had a major, significant Spider-Man appearance in another book. I guess we did the Avengers Number Eleven, and there was a lot of Spider-Man art in that, but it wasn't really Spider-Man. Oh, who, who can forget? Yeah, the Epic <laughs> Avengers Number Eleven. Stupid robot. But anyway, so yeah, we we get somebody else handling Spidey in a major way for you know a very early occasion here. And I think it's done really well, both character-wise and art-wise. I'm looking at this, and while it's obviously very, it's very clearly John Romita Sr., I think when he got onto ASM, his Spider-Man was a little more altered, because this one looks a lot more Ditko wannabe than his stuff in ASM 3, 9, and 40 did to yeah. me, anyway. He has that really dense web pattern, <clears throat> like someone Yeah, the eyes, there. the head, and the web patterns are the ones. Otherwise, it's a little, little larger and a little more laid back in the webbing. It'll, it'd be a, a Romita one. I think Romita is better at posing Spidey than Ditko is. I know that's probably blasphemy, but... Sacrilegious. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the reason that you went with, with Romita art for um, for the yeah. page instead of Ditko art. Yeah, I don't know if the listeners would be interested in this, but for the website, I went through the first like 20 issues of Spider-Man, and I realized that Ditko doesn't really find his his stride in drawing Spidey until like the annual. And in all the issues I looked through, I, I had a hard time finding an iconic Spidey pose. And so I ended up going to uh, John Romita. That's very true. That's that's, that's very, um, at least with his people, John Romita. Uh, he's he's always he's pretty much consistent like 100 percent of his career. I mean, I think I think my brother said that he prefers John Romita's Peter Parker to his his uh, John Romita's Spider Man. Like if he had to choose, he would pick, I think either Bagley or Ditko or John Romita Junior's Spider Man. But he would go with John Romita Senior's Peter Parker. It's a pretty hmm. classic design. 
Oh, I have a question. Did Sp- has Spidey quit wearing glasses by this point, or does John Romita just? Oh talk yeah, yeah. Okay. They got busted up in an early issue, okay. uh, and then he decided never to wear them again. Pretty much. <laughs> He, he, his glasses got punched off. He's like, huh, what do you know? I don't need these. Flash Thompson, that's it! <laughs> <laughs> you brought, boys, 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 what did I tell you about fight in the science room? Here's some boxing gloves. Fight in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Peter Parker. Don't no fight around the science. <laughs> no, please, avoid the science, please. Don't break the science. Yeah. Oh, here, here, here's the thing. On page five, Spider-Man is alerted by quote-unquote Daredevil's presence by a billy club being thrown from an upper position down to him. But he goes back and sees that the, the, the quote-unquote Daredevil is, like, below him. Oh, a little inconsistency in the, uh, in the yeah. angles there, yeah. Ew, that's, that's not right. Ew, yeah. <laughs> Wait, are you, are you nitpicking on a comic book podcast? What the hell? I'm not nitpicking. <laughs> it is wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> Worst issue ever. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty straightforward. I mean, I think this is if you were like stereotype comic books, this is a very like, like the I think heroes bumping into each other and saying, "Wow, you're a d bag" and fighting for no reason is a very typical Marvel thing to do. Yeah. While the, while the while the guys get while the bad guys get away with it, I think this is a very it's good. It's, it's well done with, with the scripting and everything, but it's is very this, typical. Isn't this why he fought Giant Man? Like it's the same plot. Like it's like if I get Giant Man and Spider Man pissed off at each other, everyone will be distracted and I can rob this thing. It's the same plot. And that's why I was like, if I can get Daredevil and Spider Man pissed off at each other, everyone will be distracted and I can rob this thing. That's because Mass Marauder is Egghead. Okay. Just kidding. No, he's not. But you can't tell because he's masked. He's more like goggled and veiled, really. But <laughs> it's purple's like a, a very uh... threatening color. Yeah. It's one of those veils that the dancing girls wear in the old Lawrence of Arabia movies. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of looking at the letters page in this issue, I pulled letters about this issue that were published a few months later. Bruce Long will say that I have nothing personal against Steve Ditko, but the most sensational coup which Marvel could perform would be to let Johnny Romita draw Spidey regularly. Stan wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) I have never seen a more vibrant, powerful, or majestic Spider-Man and never a more realistic Peter Parker. So please, for the pure good of Marveldom, give Spidey to John Romita. Romita wrote that. Yeah. Eddie Birchmore says that John Romita drew Spidey like he'd been drawing him all his life. Don Fisher says something that made me go, huh? While writing an extensive critique of John Romita's Spider-Man art, he says, I do not claim that Mr. Ditko has not drawn him in the same fashion, but as Mr. Romita will be doing the strips in the future, let's not see his prowess pushed beyond the limits of even a spider's powers. So what's that all about with him knowing that Romita was going to be doing the strips in the future? Maybe Steve Ditko told him he was leaving. He let the, let the cat out of the bag. Were there fanzines at this time? No, they might just be speculating. You know, if uh, if Steve Ditko left after he handed in the art for 38, like that could have been weeks or months before. It's possible the information got out there somehow. Yeah. I, I think it's just speculating, like, you know, that Bermuda will be... Heck, they're, t- they're probably... They could be talking about the next issue. I don't know. I mean, like, people were saying that... um. Oh, like uh, Ditko leaving Marvel was was so catastrophic to Spider-Man. I mean, everyone wondered how he would survive. So I think that if it was so damning to the book, Stan would try to keep it hush hush. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Probably. It, it, read the quote again. Where, where, you, where that makes me think that it, the information got out because he could just be talking about like when Ramita draws something again the next issue. 
because everyone knows that it was a cliffhanger. Uh, so he's writing his letter about 16, so 17 hasn't come out yet, and he says, I do not claim that Mr. Ditko has not drawn him in the same fashion, talking about a criticism that he has, but as Mr. Romita will be doing the strips in the future, let's not see his prowess pushed beyond the limits of even a spider's powers. Now, yeah, I there's, know what that means. Yeah, there, there's nothing in there that... I just thought that Azramina will be doing the strips in the future. It doesn't really matter. I was just wondering if y'all knew of anything. That I didn't. Well, know. Let's track this guy down. Hmm. Another uh, another comparison between the art styles, though, is uh, in the paneling. Like Steve Ditko does those really dense layouts a lot of the time, where the the pages are like really crowded, and uh, in these they feel a lot more open. Is anyone else noticing that? Yeah, in fact, that's one thing that I've noticed about Romita's art in general is that he puts fewer panels on the page and just yeah. lets the pictures expand more. Uh, reading a Romita issue of Spider-Man from like 1968 or 9 goes by a lot more quickly than a Steve Ditko issue from 1964 or 5. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah these, these things are going to be easier to recap. Yeah. There's just not going to be as much going on because we'll have four panels on a page. <laughs> I think that the panel, the panels are. I don't want to say that they're like today where there's literally three or four panels on a page, but like, like the art is a lot. The, the figures are a lot bigger. And the art's a lot clearer. Just, that's just that's just a fact. I'm not saying uh, one artist is better than the other, but just the fact that it's a lot more easier for your eyes to instantly recognize than Dicko stuff yeah, by right. nature. Of the, by, by nature of the design. So we're going to leave the resolution of this story for next episode. After our break, we're going to come back and take a look at this month's issue of Amazing Spider-Man. After these messages, we'll be right back. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a journey through the golden age of the Man of Steel in comics, radio, and film. Available at GreatCrypton.com Okay, welcome back. We are now going to be looking at Amazing Spider-Man 37, which was released a week after Daredevil 16 on March 10th, 1966, with a cover date of June. It's a key issue to the overall plot of the series and is Ditko's last big stamp on the larger mythos. And taking us through it will be Joshua Bertoni. Oh yes, Amazing Spider-Man, issue 37, and as the cover says, once upon a time, there was a robot? But not just one robot, as the cover sees, there's two robots. So technically that covers a lie, because once upon a time, there was uh, two robots. Split down the middle of the cover, we see Spider-Man fighting one green robot with tentacles in a fire, and then Spider-Man fighting a more traditional metallic robot, shooting lasers at him. Frickin' laser beams! And looking over those two pictures is a ball guy wearing um, a big robotic-y eye patch. Robot master, which is yeah. So we get to the splash page where I, I heard you guys mention Spaceballs before I got on. Um, do, does anyone remember the scene of Spaceballs where Darth Helmet is like playing with his toys? Yes. 
So, Princess Vespa, at last I have you in my clutches to have my way with you the way I want to. No, no, please leave me alone. No, you are mine. Not so fast, Helmet. Lone Star. Lord Helmet, what? You need it on the bridge, sir. Knock on my door. Knock next time. Yes, sir. Did you see anything? No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Good. We cut to Peter Parker, who has just completed his action figure collection. He's got a Gwen Stacy, a Patch, a Mendel Strom, and a... I don't even remember the name of... I think his name was Max Strom's henchman. Mm-hmm. Yes, but, Max Young. Yeah, yeah. Ned Leeds. I bet you that Peter likes to, like, make the Ned Leeds action figure, like, break, and he torches it a lot. Die to fire. The two robots. What I'm guessing is a Frederick Foswell action figure. Buzz, yeah. you know, like it, it, it's 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 a variant of Patch. What do you think and, makes uh, the Spider-Man figure and the Gwen Stacy figure do together? Oh, nothing. He, pro- he probably likes to do bad things to the Gwen Stacy figure too. He he's not particularly fond of Gwen at this point. What does it do with the Gwen Stacy figure and the Norman Osborn figure? Do you think? <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> oh my! Well, then there's the Jonah and Norman Osborn figure. So yeah, he he's playing with his toys. He's marveling at his completed collection. And we get the title again, Once Upon a Time There Was a Robot? And Stan says, we hate to brag. He's lying, by the way. He loves bragging. But this one's a doozy. Edited and written by Stan Lee. Plotted and drawn by Steve Ditko. Notice plotted. Mm-hmm. Lettered and cherished by Artie Simek. All right. So let us go to the state prison, where Professor Strom is ending his 10-year sentence. The guard tells him that he's been a model prisoner, but Strom's thought balloons are a little more revealing. He's been (laughs) secretly planning revenge the whole time. Strom is picked up by his former cellmate, unaware that another former cellmate, who's our old friend Foswell, is observing this as well. Ah, but what's this? The observer has become the observed. A thug sees Foswell and moves in to kill him. I actually found that sequence kind of confusing. I had to read through it a couple times. Yeah, me too. I, I, was, like, I was like, is that Foswell? I was really confused. <laughs> but watching Foswell, watching Strom is. However, before a shot can be fired, a punch goes to the assailant from Spider-Man. <laughs> Whoa there, Sonny Boy. In case you didn't know it, this is a no-noise zone. Spider-Man. Ah, <laughs> and I wanted it to be a surprise. Okay, talk. Why'd you try and ventilate Foswell? I said Talk. I, I didn't mean any harm, honest. I just hoped the professor would let me join him if I proved I could be useful. You're gonna be useful, all right? Follow me, mister. And then the next panel, Spider-Man's... Wearing your little hat. I know, like, like, like a little fedora in, in the back seat of this guy's car, and he webs the guy to the driver's seat. I would love to see him do that, like, on a Spider-Man show. He punches the guy out, puts him in the hat, and then, like... While he's keeping eye contact, he just very slowly and methodically grabs the guy's hat off of his head, puts it on his own, and then they go about their business. <laughs> it's Spidey after dark. So webs the guy to the car and says, we'll use your car to tell the professor and see what he's up to. And to make sure you don't get any foolish ideas, I'll web you to the seat. Now get going. But exactly 30 seconds later, a police car following us. They couldn't have seen me. And you're not speeding. Use your spider power. Get rid of him. You got to. Well, yeah, what's the spider power going to do here? He doesn't know. He, 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 he has clue. So it turns out that the cops are only after the car because it's stolen. And Spider-Man's decided that he's had enough of this madness and decides to swing away. Too bad that he's lost Foswell. Actually, lots of people seem to be losing Foswell. Nobody seems to be able to find him, including Jonah. Jonah's in the middle of the Bugle office screaming, where's Foswell? And nobody in the Bugle has seen him. So 
That's due to this issue. Where is Friendship Foswell? Peter comes in, observing the fact that Jonah has yet another new secretary. He wants the money for his last set of photos, but Jonah has no sympathy. For if it wasn't for Peter and his foolish love triangles, Betty wouldn't be gone, and Jonah's records wouldn't be all messed up. A fact that Jonah is very, very quick to remind Peter of. Just then, Foswell, found at last, comes in and tells Jonah that he suspects the recently released Strom is of planning revenge, and that there may be a story. This intrigues Peter, who slips a spider tracer in the Foswell's hat. <laughs> Again. Yes, we. I know. The, the last one, like you know, its juice ran out. We briefly cut away to Strom, who is in his lab, telling his henchman Max Young that he won't need him again until his robot is finished. He vows revenge for quote the man who cheated me out of my inventions unquote. This sounds like Lex Luthor kind talking of. about Superman. He's been like in in prison all this time. Now he's going to get revenge on this one man who's ruined his life and cheated him out of his success. I don't know. With the baldness, it just like said, this is Lex Luthor. And the way he was talking about the person that isn't revealed yet is what I would imagine talking about Superman. Well, no? I can imagine both Strom and Luthor saying, leave me to my science. I must plan my revenge. Complete with, you know, henchmen. Like, I, I yeah, Otis. Max, I know. I was thinking Max is very Otis-ish. I don't know why. I think Mr. Like Strom. An- Mr. Strom, I'm sorry. <laughs> Maxberg? <laughs> Maxberg? <laughs> Sorry, Superman the movie, all over the place. Let's go. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, and let's go, and go we will. Because while the professor plots, Peter Parker heads for school as usual, and he sees Gwen Stacy wearing red yet again, because that's her only wardrobe. Peter wonders if Gwen Stacy, spelled S-T-A-C-E-Y, because, you know, you got to add an E to the blonde classmate's name sometimes to confuse things. If she's wait, still wait, wait, wait. Which, which, which panel is that in? Because I have, I have S-T-A-C-Y. It's the first Gwen panel on page five. Oh, uh, wow, they corrected Stacey's. it again. It, what are you doing, Essentials? Yeah. Okay. They corrected it for the Essential. The Lady Gwen in red. Sorry. Gwen, Gwen, Gwen slaps first. Gwen slaps first. <laughs> I wonder if Gwen Stacy's um, there to hide her devil horns. <laughs> Actually, they kind of look like devil horns. Yeah, sort of yeah they do. Actually, <laughs> nowhere. If she thought losing the headband would help her bitch image, those clips aren't, uh, you know, they're not fixing it. <laughs> no, they're not. Yeah, well, there's only one way to find out if Gwen's still mad at him. So he runs up to Gwen. Hi, Gwen. We're both heading for the same class. Mind if I join you? What are you doing, Mr. Parker? Slumming? Usually you're too stuck up to say hello to anyone. Peter, you know, who's had enough of crap from everyone in his life at this point. Well, <laughs> at least I'm not a temperamental female who drews over a fellow one day and then acts like an icicle to him the next. Drat! That crazy temper of mine. Now I've really put my foot in it. And Gwen's face. <laughs> oh, I never. <laughs> oh, what? What did you say to me? If this was like a cartoon, like the the red would slowly rise up her face like a thermometer, and like steam would come out of her ears. Yeah, there's definitely a oh no you didn't somewhere in here yeah. now. Even if you are ESU's newest science scholarship whiskin, nobody talks to me that way as she raises her hand to like claw his face or something. Come on, Gwen, simmer down. Let's bury the hatchet, huh? You think you can say what you want to me then? Ow! As she moves in for the slap and Peter blocks her with his hand. <laughs> Anyone ever tell you you're gorgeous when you're angry? No, 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 no. no. Anyone ever tell you you're gorgeous when you're angry? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> now I gotta hand it to Peter because I mean, he's actually this is awesome. 
he's he's being pretty rough with her, but being pretty smooth about it at the same time and trying hard to turn no, her anger around. No, he's no, he's walking into this and like with each word, he's he, he's making it worse and worse for himself. Well, like who cares? I mean, seriously, like Quinn has actually nothing but but to him, so he's like, you know. I don't care. You're hot. So, you know, just, just calm down. We, we have some fun together. We can That's channel that energy to other directions. Well, he's basically saying, yeah, act like a bitch one day, then, you, then you're all hot over me the next day. And then he's like, huh, uh, uh, let's forgive each other. Don't hit me. He's like, ooh, <laughs> actually, you're kind of hot when you're trying to kill me. Gwen knows she wants it, though. And she, she's like, I hate him, but I love him. <laughs> it flashed so, so she's asking for it? Is this is like, have you ever seen um, the end of season one of Cheers where like Sam and Diane are just like arguing with each other? Isn't that all of Cheers? <laughs> yeah, fair, fair point. Let's <laughs> like, roll with that because I'm not. Yeah, no, they're really going at it and then like they're arguing and like just insults upon insults upon insults. Then like finally, you know, I always wanted to pop you one. <laughs> Maybe this is my lucky day, huh? You disgust me. I hate you. Are you as turned on as I am? More. Yeah. <laughs> then they make out. <laughs> That's kind of where I see this going, but it doesn't go there because Flash. Hey, what's going on there? I saw that, Parker. And it's just like letting him out in the fun. Like they're in a confrontation. I know, like, so, so, I saw saw what? Saw Gwen try and attack him and Peter, like, block her blow. Well, yeah, I can see, okay, she goes to slap <laughs> but he actually puts his hand up in the way, so, you know, he's deflecting her blow, which is, you know, a physical act, and maybe Flash is choosing to misinterpret it. I don't know, it's, it's a little weird. No, Flash is just an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, those Brady little pig eyes of yours never miss a trick, Flash. I'll make you eat those words, you puny punk! Come on, put up your hands! Oh, if I only dare just once, but with my spider strength, I'm liable to accidentally hurt him, no matter how careful I am. Sorry, Flash, I just can't let you do it. If you damage my profile, half the girls of ESU would be heartbroken. We can't let that happen. You yellow fink, I knew you chicken out. Oh, let him go, Flash. Okay, doll. Peter's so smooth in this scene. Uh, Respect. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, Peter's like striding around the college. Like, yeah, that's right. This is like it's like he has the black costume from Spider-Man Three. <laughs> he just needs only things. <laughs> it only took me thirty-seven issues, but now I got game. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that Gwen picture, the third panel of page six. Oh, she, doesn't yeah. she look like Billy Piper in that picture? A bit, yeah, yeah, she does. Yeah, uh, I like like her eyes. I like how yeah. Flash is like totally hard for Gwen here. That, that's why he's coming to her defense, oh. and she doesn't really get it. Because he's going to hit her, too, without the dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Gwen, if I ever catch you talking the puny Parker again, to the moon! <laughs> okay, doll, but if he bothers you again, just let me know. So then, like, you know, they're in the science lab doing some science stuff for their science class, and Harry tries to get on Gwen's good side by, you know, saying, you know, I kind of hate Parker, too. And Gwen's like, oh, you haven't any use for anyone who's smarter than you are, Harry. Peter's never bothered you. If I was Harry, I'd be like, my gosh, there's no pleasing this woman for anyone. So if, if you want to make a woman start liking you, just, you know, block her slap when she comes at you and tell her she's gorgeous when she's angry, and she'll start defending you from now on. Yeah. Well, yeah, against a white guy with cornrows. 
That's awesome. <laughs> Again, we're in a bow tie. <laughs> the bow tie is what seals it, man. That's Harry Osborn in a bow tie. <laughs> oh, no. So as, as they leave class, Flash once again, like, threatens, don't remember, from now on, stay out of my way. And Peter just does another pithy comment back at him. So Strom sends his completed robots uh, to the victim's lab. We don't know who the victim is yet, just that it's some guy who screwed Strom over. And the robot is uh, the green one from the cover that has... It doesn't even look like a robot to me. It looks like like a giant yeah. amoeba or something. It looks like yeah. the amoeboid robot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and Strom is wearing like a big eye patch electrical thing that's helping him control the robots. So... It's attacking this place, and Spider-Man tries to stop the robot and the fire that it's now caused, but he's surprised by the robot's strength. It squeezes him so tight that the only way to get loose is to use the flames from the fire to loosen the robot's grip. Instead of trying to now stop the fire and stop the robot, Spider-Man decides that he's just going to, you know, get out of this place. So people see Spider-Man leaving the building, which is on fire, and wouldn't you know it, they assume that he started the fire. Yuck, yuck, yuck. He just can't catch a break. Back at the lab, Strom gives some exposition about his next robot, which is going to be even more powerful. But who was Strom's victim? And now, we've got a small-scale surprise for you. Remember Harry Osborn, one of Peter Parker's nastier schoolmates? <gasps> he's like the least nasty of the schoolmates, though. Like, <laughs> I don't he's got think like so. Harry Osborn has been pretty jerkish the these okay. last few issues. This is the most annoying. But- of the three schoolmates that, like, you know, the, the, that are actual characters, aside from Sally Green, we've got Gwen, Flash, and Harry. You really think that, like, Harry is nastier than Gwen and Flash? I think well, Harry is nastier than the Gwen, entire yeah. Class, the entire class has been, has been on Peter's case, and, like, Harry has been a standout. Yeah, he's, he's been a Flash copycat for so long, um, for, uh, for so far. He's Flash's parent. So we get Harry with his bow tie next to the guy who's been in the background of many of the Jonah Country Club scenes, who has Harry's haircuts and a green business suit. Green. Mm. Mm. Very like money. <laughs> like money. <laughs> green for the money and gold for the honey. <laughs> At least his what? dad has the sense to wear a decent tie. <laughs> yeah. I don't get it, Dad. Why would Spider-Man try and burn down your plant? And I'm, we're going to have to get JR in for like, some ADR on this episode to do Norman's voice. I don't think that's going to happen, so go ahead. (laughs) I'm aware. (laughs) I I feel like the fake Jason from Power Rangers, but... (laughs) Nice reference. Yeah. Don't believe everything you hear, Harry. It wasn't Spider-Man. Someone else was behind it. But who? None of your blasted business. I can't tell the kid how I cheated Professor Strom out of his inventions and then railroaded him into jail when he began to threaten me. It has to be Strom who's after me. He's, he's thinking this. He's not saying it out loud. Well, I, I know. And it looks like he has like little sweat sweat drops on his forehead when he's thinking yeah, it. Yeah, he's stressing this. Or it could be the fire in the background, though. He could be going crazy like he does whenever he transforms into the album. Yeah, Norman Osborn not sweating is a pretty uncommon thing in the 60s. <laughs> Would it be something if Spider-Man is trying to work a protection racket? Harry, don't you ever shut up! <laughs> <laughs> And we get some, um, we get some, our, our, it's kind of cool getting our first Norman Osborn personality we've seen on the page. We never really, I mean, he's only done throwaway lines so far that really anybody could have said. And we also, with this whole Strom reference, we get the first hints at the Goblin origin that we're going to get in a couple of issues. I find it interesting that the first time you see such a major character in Spider-Man, 
is with Harry. A guy, like, really, Harry Osborn and Norman Osborn, in some ways, you kind of think of them as separate characters, just who, who just kind of look alike. Because they are separate characters? Uh, oh, okay. Hang on. <laughs> like, you don't really think of them as much by their relation, because they're so known by what else they've done. They independent from each other. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I, I find it kind of interesting that you first see it. I mean, it makes sense that they would be introduced to get in. Norman would be introduced with Harry, but um, it's also interesting with hindsight considering the character's histories later on. I guess that's more true for you, um, Don, because you've you've been reading Spider-Man longer than I have. Well, you've read more of Spider-Man than I have because the Green Goblin is Norman and Harry's a, a supporting character, and then Norman dies, and then now Harry's having issues, and so for 20, 30 years, Harry Osborn is the Osborn, and Norman doesn't come back until after Harry's dead. And it's only been in the last couple of years of comics we've had Harry and Norman on the page together. But I've only been back into comics for the last couple of years. So I see Harry and Norman as being very joined together. It's like I, I don't think of one without thinking of the other. Well, their, their legacies are very joined because a lot of what Harry has done as a character has been driven by Norman, even when Norman was dead. There's like that scene in Spectacular Spider-Man 200 where he's talking to Norman's portrait. Right, well, that whole storyline... Who was writing that? Uh, Michelini? D. Mateus. D. Mateus. I get this ticket. That whole storyline that D. Mateus did in the, in the leading up to Spectacular 200 with was, you know, Harry went crazy again because Norman started talking to him. Oh, the voices! It's time, Harry. It's time. You know, they could probably, they could retcon that. Like, because now we know that Mysterio was involved in faking Harry's death. You can, like, retcon that. All those times that Harry was seeing those voices and everything, that it was Norman using Mysterio to manipulate him. I mean, I kind, I kind of like the idea that Harry went crazy, but, like, if someone wanted to retcon that, it would not be difficult to do. This would be true. Although, then you'd have to say that Mysterio knew who Spider-Man was, because, like, that was some of the hallucinations that he would see Peter Parker unmasked as Spider-Man. He could, and that uh, wouldn't make sense, because I think Mysterio could be able to find out who Spider-Man is, just based off uh, Amazing Spider-Man 200 and all that. Until the mind block. Yeah. Until the... Uh, yeah. But anyways... Yes, well, back when things weren't mind-blocked, J. Jonah Jameson ran in- onto the scene. I was at our club when I heard the news. Don't worry, Norman, Spider-Man won't get away with this. We're not sure he's the one, Jonah. I'm sure, and J. Jonah Jameson is never wrong about things. I suppose your insurance will cover the damage, eh? Yes. Wait, wait, my it- insurance? It's your car. Your insurance should pay for it. <laughs> Sorry, I was back to the future. Go ahead. Uh, God, okay, <laughs> no, no I, I, that one I got. But if it looks bad, if the attacks continue, they won't renew my insurance. We've got to do something. That's a smart boy you've got, Norman. I like the way he sums up a situation. He'll go far. He said he something should. completely, totally useless, and Jonah's like praising him. I know that always like <laughs> when I was like younger. I was We've like, got to do something. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Is this right. the first insurance argument in superhero comics? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. Well, yeah. maybe well, well, Jonah's well, well. being condescending. <laughs> like, oh, wow, that's a smart boy you got, Norman. I like the way he sums up a situation. He'll go far. He should, he should. Yeah, that, that's a very odd panel. I, I'm is. trying to think. Uh, insurance scams have been a standard thing for a while. Health insurance would be new at this point. Right. But um, property insurance, I think, has been around for a few decades at this point. But I don't understand. I thought that Norman was filthy rich, and he made Donald Trump look like a penny pitcher. Why would he have to worry about insurance? Oh, here we go again. <laughs> I don't know. Guess you don't. I just well, think it's funny that they're sitting around arguing about uh, insurance. <laughs> I just love how Harry, 
<laughs> how Harry's like, yeah, Dad, I agree. Shut up. <laughs> from, from now on, it, it, it's canon for me that Jonah's being condescending to him. I like that interpretation much better. <laughs> Jonah's making fun of Harry. And Osborne's reaching for his belt. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Harry. What did I tell you about embarrassing me in front of fellow club members? Oh, gee whiz, Dad. Bend over <laughs> and grab your toes. <laughs> well, Spider Man. Bang, bang, bang. Spider-Man realizes that Straw must be behind all this, so he goes to trail Foswell, but Foswell has already left his apartment disguised as Stooley the Patch, leaving behind the hat with the tracer, because it doesn't go with this Patch outfit. Spider-Man sees Patch and is like, eh, can't find Foswell, might as well follow this guy. Which, luckily, he does, because Patch finds the lab and is surprised to see Max and the new robot, which is a little more robot-y. Spider-Man sees this and is none too pleased about having to fight another robot. Watching Unseen, Spider-Man throws a tracer onto said robot and then jumps into action, but Max and the robot trap Spidey and Patch into a locked room. Luckily, there is an oddly-shaped air shaft for Spidey to escape, but, you know, leaves Patch there saying, huh, don't worry, just use that gun that they dropped if they come back. Right. You know, don't, don't, don't. And look at that air shaft. That is, what is that? It's a window, I guess. It's, it's like the size of a child. <laughs> it, it's not. It, it's more than an air shaft. It only has little bars over it. Usually, air shafts have like some sort of gr- vent grating or something. It's sunlight. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a Jeffrey's tube. Okay. Sure. Okie dokie. That's my Star Trek explanation. Well, the robot attacks Osborne at his office with Strom speaking through it, telling Norman that it'll destroy everything he loves. His science. You know, <laughs> and, and, and no mention of his son or anything like that, or of Gwen. My inventions? They're my last work. <laughs> then I'll destroy. No, not my inventions. Take Harry. <laughs> 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 not, not not actual dialogue from the book, but it could be. He's worth, he's worth much more to you than me. Spider-Man finds the robot, thanks to the tracer, and begins to engage it. Osborne silently curses Spider-Man for ruining everything by saving him. He also notes that Spider-Man is becoming too dangerous in his plans. Hmm, what could he possibly mean by that? What plans could this man with the strange hair have? Uh So, during the fight between Spider-Man and the robots, uh, Osborn, hiding behind some stuff, sneaks up behind Spider-Man, punches him in the back of the head. Now's my chance. He was too busy to pay attention to me, and the robot hasn't seen me yet either. If that blow didn't finish him off, I'll let the robot do the job. As for me, I've got a lot to do now, as he runs out of the lab. So he thinks he killed him because he punched him in the back of the head? No. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, technically, he, he does have superhuman strength. Well, uh. that's not that's not established for, for a while. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's true, but it could be like a backwards uh, Untold Tales-esque retcon. Yeah. So the robot assumes that Spider-Man's dead because of like a gas leak. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, oh, wow. (laughs) Spider-Man must have fallen down because of a gas leak. Some poisonous vapor must have gotten him. I am an idiot. Yeah, I, I, like, I like how the robot actually has a personality, conscious, and, and thought process, which are wrong. Oh no, no, that, 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 I, I assume that that was Strom. Like, no, you're right, it's Strom. Okay. <laughs> so he wrecks more of Osborne's science and then leaves. Spider-Man awakes, wondering why he was spared, and decides to look for the robot over at the hideout. Spidey fights the robot, who is in the control room with Strom, you know, Wizard of Oz style, and Spidey smashes the robot, so it fires its control panel. So it fires at the control panel, severing the Strom's control over it. That's too many times to say control in one sentence, but I didn't know how else to describe it. So Strom holds the robot's head and uses it 
kind of like a gun to try and get Spidey. But Spider-Man wrecks that too. And Patch comes in holding Max at gunpoint. So it looks like that's wrapping everything up. Except we see a gun coming through the coming through the high open window. I can't take the chance of him spilling the beans about me, said thinks the unseen figure. Crymaster. <laughs> yes, that's right. There's too much at stake. I've got too much to lose. And then Spider-Man Spider-Sen starts stingling. My Spider-Sense, it's tingling! A gun! At that window! Look out! As he pushes Strom to the floor. Another second would have been too late. He's all set to fire. Whoever it is, I can't let him get away. As Spider-Man leaps to the window as Strom goes, Oh! (laughs) Spider-Man looks out the open window and sees nobody. And he's looking all around the immediate area. There's no one there. Okay, before we go on, let's talk about this whole scene with Strom dying here. Uh, Spoiler alert! Okay, the next panel, he's dead. Okay, so let's look at this scene with Strom dying. Um, First of all, minor note, Spider-Man's spider sense is opaque because you can't see Strom's hand or Spider-Man's arm through it. I thought that was funny. (laughs) But to me, it looks like this was intended to be a sniper shot that kills the guy, not a heart attack. Gun in the window, he falls over dead. Comic codes. The art says he was just shot. (laughs) His heart couldn't take it. Yeah, the scripting says that his heart couldn't take getting shot. (laughs) (laughs) What heart said? No, I I think this is one of those things where... Spider-Man killed him. He, like, shoves him to the ground. He probably, like... My spine! (laughs) Oh, it must have been a heart attack. Uh, Yeah, let's go with that. That's why there's blood all over the floor. (laughs) No, really, yeah. Like, this this is like a clear... (laughs) This is like... I I think Steve Dicko also had a thing in in the question comic book where he... um, In the original Charlton comics question, question punches a guy off who has, like, some kind of... And, like, the dialogue makes it seem like the guy jumped off, but it's clear the, the the question killed him. So I think it's an instance of... Somebody being killed rather than just, oh, I'm dying. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I guess if it's ambiguous, it's probably easier to get past the comic code than if it's, you know, explicit. Well, they, they don't make it ambiguous. So this is, uh, he did, he's dead. It looks like a heart attack. How does it look like a heart attack exactly? Is, is, can you feel the numb hand of someone else? That's a pretty pretty straightforward assumption, though. If you're just going about your business and somebody collapses dead... A heart attack is a pretty, yes. pretty safe guess. Like, oh, it looks like a heart attack. Oh, there's blood pooling from his chest. Never. It could be a brain aneurysm, or it could be their spleen. But heart attack is what I'd go as too. He, he, he did make a poop face business. before he died. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, he did. He's oh, oh. <laughs> 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 to pitch a loaf, and he just can't do it. <laughs> well, like everyone knows that Frederick Foswell's, you know, a certified nurse. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's how he could diagnose. He's like, yeah, it looks like a heart attack. God. I bet you that, like, Comics Code was like, we can't have it be a gunshot. Um, you can leave the gun in there, but make him die of a heart attack because he got scared of the gun. Yeah, well, that's much less violent. Hasn't there been issues in the past where somebody gets shot, shot to death? I mean, I mean not by the police. <laughs> ben, ben, Bennett Brands. <laughs> Bennett Brands, uh, Uncle Ben, of Har- course. Yeah, and, and, and then Max, like, you know, young, runs up to Spider-Man and uh, just, I hate you, Spider-Man! I hate you <laughs> till the day I die! You, you can't Stop mean that. <laughs> you can't mean But I seriously <laughs> think that that's the whole reason that Norman is, like, caressing his shooter here in the next page. Um, is because... His gun, he, you mean? Yeah. Is because he fired oh, that thing off at Strom, and he's all happy about it. Stop it, John. Just Stop it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you. <laughs> oh God. In you and no man. <laughs> okay, so he, he, here's another thing to notice. Um, spoiler alert, but like next page, you know, after Spider-Man's like, well, I'm getting out of here. There's nothing more for me to do. When we see Osborne again, he's getting dressed. Why is he getting dressed? He just shot at the shooter. No, but... Okay, um... Oh, my... I don't know. Like he's putting on his tie and 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 his jacket. Like you can see his hands. And he's, he's in like, the room with J. Jonah Jameson, right? No, no, J. Jonah Jameson comes, comes, comes to visit him. He comes to visit like, him there. It's his duty as a fellow club member, as if like. <laughs> so are you suggesting <laughs> that he might have been on a on a certain um, flying apparatus in the previous page, and maybe wearing you know somewhat abnormal clothing? Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Can you imagine the Green Goblin taking a rifle, though? I mean, I just don't really see that as a great. Yeah, Jr. mentioned that, and it's 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 definitely it's Norman Osborn esque because Norman's identified. He's now identified as a as a supervillain on his own without a costume identity. But Green Goblin esque, it is it isn't. So. Right. I don't know. But you know what? What is Green Goblin esque at this point in time? Pumpkin bombs. Halloween. Sonic toads. Ghost What's with that clouds? crazy panel where Jonah's all red? Yeah, evil Jonah. That, that, that's he's covered in the blood. <laughs> the mega Jonah. So, so, so Harry, like an excited little boy, like he finally has something important to tell his dad. He like runs to the door. Dad, Mister Jameson is here. He has some good news for you. I know. I heard it on the radio. They caught Professor Straub. He was found dead. <laughs> Stupid kid. <laughs> How I hate him. Uh, I, I added that last part. I mean, he was probably thinking stuff off. <laughs> <laughs> so J. Jonah Jameson, you know, arrives to provide, you know, the closing plot exposition about how, oh, boy, it was your ex-partner all along. He can't bother you. And then Osborne, you know, feigning shock. <gasps> the poor devil. I had forgotten all about him. Right. So, he was know, the Jonah- first guy you thought of when somebody blew up your plant. Oh, it's strong. Yeah. <laughs> so after Jonah leaves, Norman takes out his shooter. <laughs> Spider-Man almost tuned everything for me, but it won't happen again. Now that his suspicions have been roused, roused. <laughs> he must be disposed of. I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. And then you can hear like the dun 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 from the '90s series. <laughs> what is this yellow flowy thing that Peter is wearing in this issue? Um, it's a pimpin' vest. That's what it is. I may probably, probably sewed it for him. Do people wear things like that, like flowy vests? Okay, now this I think is the clothes he wears in Marvels, and the issue where he delivers pictures of the, of the looter to the Daily Bugle. So they really make Spider-Man look bad. Maybe I don't know. It's just weird. I would never wear anything like that, but I guess they wore different things in the '60s. Turns out, crazy stuff happened back then. Well, I like it. <laughs> I think it's pretty happening. <laughs> Daddy O happening yeah. than his blue suit. So he's walking down the street. He's he's walking down the street. You know, very very confused. I couldn't have imagined it. There was someone at that window with a gun. And then the college kids are at some nearby thing, and they like Peter styling, you know, yellow thing, unlike John. So like they like it enough that they want to invite him to go bowling, but he ignores them because he's too caught up in his own thoughts again. But there could be another answer. What if I'm losing my spider sense? No, you saw it. the gun, okay? Like, that doesn't mean you're losing your spider sense. It means you're losing sight, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it could mean the beginning of the end for Spider-Man. I'd, I'd better not think about it. So, he's too good for us, huh? Guy like him don't want to know anybody. They'd rather go around without a care on the world. 
Without a care in the world, he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. They don't know what they're saying. People are stupid. <laughs> Especially ESU people. It's like, if, so, if someone doesn't hear you, then, like, it automatically means that they're a snob. Hey, I have an idea. Walk up and tap him on the shoulder. Hey, buddy, want to play with us? Instead of saying, oh, well, clearly he's ignoring us. Come on, guys. Oh, yeah, he's ignoring us. What a snob. High five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this he is... was listening to his iPod. <laughs> well, that was a misunderstanding. His invisible and futuristic iPod. <laughs> to me, to me, this is kind of the the last. I know the Dico has one more issue, but there's so little of any import that happens that issue. To me, this is kind of like Ditko's last stamp on the mythology. Yeah, next if, one, you, you could go straight from this into thirty nine. And he and wanted the, to leave Peter wearing that outfit. Right. Just for you. <laughs> Just for me. <laughs> but um but yeah, as yeah. such i that, think that, that's the end of the issue spoiler alert yeah i'm sorry that was the end that's why i'm going spoiler alert, the issue ends <laughs> the rest of the pages are ads whoa check it out yeah and despite strom's mild case of death this is actually not his final appearance no it is no. not this so be- issue sets up a lot of mythology it really does oh yeah it does are you talking about strom or other things Lots of things. Mostly Strom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He comes back in the spectacular Spider-Man 233 in 1996. He came back before that, but it was like a robot of him. Like there was um a 1980 spectacular issue where it was like as if Strom had returned from the dead. Uh, this was this was during Bill Mantlo's time. I want to say Spectacular Spider-Man 68. Okay, I'm not that far yet. I'm in the early 50s, mid mid or late 50s. His assistant, Max Young, shows yes. up even earlier in The Amazing Spider-Man 370 of 1992. Really? I, just, I, thought, I thought that since they gave him a name, he it was a character some, some goofy writer would say, huh, let's do that again. I thought there was somebody to bring back, but I never knew that he actually did. There's a story called The Invasion of the Spider Slayers, and they actually bring back a new version of the Amoeboid robot. Uh, I by, that uh, I remember, yeah. Smith. I do remember that, yeah. Yep, and they make reference to this issue, and I just looked, it is... Uh, Spectacular Spider-Man issue 68. Peter Parker. Vengeance cries the robot master. Yeah, it's it, the robot version of the robot master. And, <laughs> um, they later, and they later retcon behind the scenes that like that little incident made Norman Osborn decide to dig up Strom's body and see that he was still alive. And we find out like you know in a few months that Strom's the guy that uh, yeah according to the Osborn Journal. We find out in a few months that it was Strom that like created the Goblin formula and that set up. So in the spectacular spy in no in the '90s Spider-Man animated series and in the movie they included Strom in there. Well, in the, in the '90s show, for some reason they called him Mordell Strom than Endel yeah. Strom. I don't know why. Yeah, so I mean, the Strom and like his relationship with Osborn, like that's. Uh, there's a lot of mythology from that, and like Strom, my God, like I think in current continuity, he he's a, he's on a computer disc now because like there was a whole youth in Asia issue, yeah, Paul Jenkins issue, which is yeah. I, I I really enjoyed, but yeah, he's yeah. Left there. he he wanted Spider-Man to kill him, but he like downloaded him onto a disc instead. <laughs> I'll, I'll never stop trying to to, see, to to free you, Strom. All right, see you. <laughs> yeah, that's that was like in 1999. <laughs> Dude, there's a Star Wars book where, like, um, the father of one of Luke's dead girlfriends gets frozen in carbonite, and Luke swears at the end of, like, that book that he'll free him from carbonite if it's the last thing he'll do. And then, like, the next, in, and the next issue, like, it's not mentioned at all. 
and then like it's never been mentioned again. <laughs> You'll say he's yeah. saving it for the last thing he does. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So really, um, again, with with the issue with the, the, the comics, too, the last two pages. Not only does it look like uh, the only thing is the dialogue is that oh he had a heart attack, but you can literally have the rest of the issue play out because Osborne's holding the gun to remind you oh yes I shot him. And he says no, yes, yeah, you're right. Dead. Everything in the art says he shot the guy. And really, no, the only, even the only the only thing that says he, he didn't get shot was uh, uh, patches one pet one wound saying heart attack. Everything else says oh he was found dead. Uh, Strom's dead. 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 And the whole, uh, the whole thing about Peter wondering if he imagined the gun. I mean, if you heard a rifle shot, you wouldn't be wondering if you imagined. Yeah, it. you can say you, you can say not not only um, was there a gun, but like who shot, who was a shooter is in the in the arts. Not not was there a gun? I don't know, but like who shot the gun? I, I couldn't see the shooter. So it, this just this just screams that he had a shot. I, I can't take it. Maybe there, it may have been comics code. Maybe there was a reason that they did that. Maybe they uh, maybe there was really a puff like, of smoke coming out of the gun on one panel. They had to erase that because of the code. Working too hard can give you a heart attack. Ack, 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 ack. I used to have the comments on actually. <laughs> well, well, Josh, you want to know by now. I did that for um, um, a, a, a project I did in 12th grade. And I actually knew all the rules in comments code. And I don't remember anything about you can't show people getting brutally murdered. Well, you can't. We, you couldn't do that. But I'm pretty sure you could have people shot. But I don't remember. So I have to you just can't remember. get back up and walk around again. Or turn into a robot guy in the 90s. <laughs> He was like a decomposed corpse when he came back. <laughs> so, looking at the issue as a whole, looking at the issue, I was going back to the first splash page. I mean, we were talking about the action figures and everything, but that kind of reminds me of the like Galactus looming over the Fantastic Four from issue number 49, that cover. Oh, Except yeah, that Galactus didn't have Toxic Avenger eyes. Yeah, I lied. That's I lied. That's not Ned Leeds action figure because he's not in this issue. That's probably Flash Thompson. Those are Toxic Avenger eyes. That's really funny. <laughs> I, I like this um, image though. I, I think it's pretty cool. It's pretty. It's pretty uh, creative. I like how the Gwen action figure has books. <laughs> <laughs> like she can she, read. This is such a nerd. This, this Gwen figure. Oh. Very cool. <laughs> and Patch is like strolling, and Jonah's action figure has a cigar. Speaking of Jonah's cigar, if you go to page four, panel four, look at the cigar there. It's got this weird tip on it, and the way he's holding it, in his mouth. Is that Okay, it looks like a nipple. But no, it's yeah. three panel five, too. <laughs> like it has a little nipple on the mouth end of it. I guess he's using... Actually, do they I've use seen... those? Maybe he's smoking black and mild. I've never seen him use one before, but they have those little things, right, that you can grip the cigar with, so you're not chewing right. the cigar. Yeah, those have been around. That's what well, um, I've never seen him use one of those before. That scene, though, he's using like, it in that red panel too. That's at the end of the issue. Like in that scene, though, Jameson refuses to pay Peter because oh, clearly the, my secretary left because of you. He can't do that. No, he can't. He says no. He says that the records are messed up because like Betty's gone, like including like the records for like how he's supposed to pay Peter. So if Peter's not getting paid because of this record mess up. I'm of the belief that uh, there's no way that Peter's the only one that's suffering because of this. So basically, because Betty left the Bugle without giving any notice, and the record's in disarray, the Bugle staff isn't getting paid, because Betty Branch, you know, like, couldn't bother to fix everything up before she left. Way to go, Betty. I hope that there's no Bugle employees that have, like, children in the hospital for leukemia or something. Actually, (laughs) money ain't gonna help for leukemia. Well, if we were the opinion that Robbie Robertson... uh 
actually was working around this time, and he did have a stillborn child, or maybe a, a child that died. Maybe it died because they didn't have enough money to pay for medicine. <laughs> wow. So the death of Robertson's child is Betty Brant's fault? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> That's exactly what we're saying. Like, these bugle people who can like barely make ends meet, you know, it's... Thank you, Betty. Thank you for quitting without giving two weeks' notice, without getting your records in order. You're you're a class act. Oh, and why did you quit? Oh, because two men were in love with you, and it was giving you nightmares. Poor baby. No recommendation (laughs) letter for you. (laughs) (laughs) Josh is still squeezing the blood from his fist after after issue 30. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously, how can you... <laughs> how no, like h- how can you defend this woman's actions? Like I'm not trying. <laughs> no one's defending her. It's just funny how much you like to like to go after her. What is up with Spider-Man's back spider in this issue? Uh, Have you, did you guys notice it's all long, long and like skinny? Yeah, yeah. Well, he did that though. Did he? Yeah, he did that. He did you guys know I would. I haven't. I haven't read all of these up to this. So he changed the way he did the spider because it didn't used to be like this. It used to be blue for some reason, apparently. But um, yeah. no, I've, seen, I've seen him draw like this before. It's not a new thing. Okay. I'm just flipping through an earlier issue now just to see if I can get a look at Spider-Man's back. Turns out that that's not as easy as he said. This. <laughs> a very nice, muscular back. Boom back. His smooth, rippling back. Okay, so I, I want somebody to, like, you know, take the reenactment of Gwen, looking at Namor's, like, army invading the city from Marvels and Philip Sheldon Gwen, the ultimate <laughs> innocent for... And then, like, all of a sudden, like, the sound of the record screeching, and then, like, the scene of Gwen slapping Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you want to splice Alex Ross's Marvels with Steve Ditko's Amazing? Hell yeah. Are you trying to make it look bad? <laughs> I, I like the little green creature in this one. <laughs> Just as a design, I think it's really bizarre, and it kind of stands out. Yeah. It's it's what makes this cover always look weird to me. It's like, oh, the hokey amoeboid robot. Yeah. But, but at the same time, it stands out in your brain as a, as a design. Yeah. you can. It really wants to be animated. It does. I love, yeah, I'd love to animate that thing walking and killing. <laughs> <laughs> There's not enough animated killing. I'm trying to think of which uh, panel of Quinn Stacy is scarier. The ones from the Liberty <laughs> issue. Because I, 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 I have this issue, I, I'm flipping back and forth. Or the one on the. I can't. This moment. Oh my god. I can't look at it anymore. I, I'd much rather look at Betty and Betty crying than Quinn Stacy staring, staring into the fourth wall with her glinting eyes. You're looking at that one on page six, aren't you? Page six and page 14 of issue 36. Issue 36. The looter one. I'm I'm flipping back back and forth to those panels where she just like stares into the into thing with with burning hate. Oh wow, that's pretty intense too. Yeah. Okay, that's scary. Let's think about something else. <laughs> well, yeah. Speaking of Gwen, um, reading from my like the Gwen articles, the notes that I had for behavior this issue, it's interesting to, that Peter acknowledges how Gwen has been drooling over him. We have been given no indication that Peter was ever aware of it. Although if someone has a crush on you, over time you do notice those little things, but perhaps Peter didn't know what he was talking about. Either way, it struck a nerve with Gwen. That meant that in her mind, that not only had he noticed her, but he still chose to spurn her feelings, which you know probably pisses Gwen off even more, because all this time she thought, oh, well, he's just ignoring me. Oh, also, poor Gwen. when when yeah. Peter actually says, anyone tell you you're gorgeous when you're angry, she shuts up. And, she, mm-hmm. she, and then she starts uh, defending him. Yeah. Oh, because as soon as she's recognized for her beauty, then everything's big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we should put it that she way. Her, but then Flash comes, so Gwen's got to, you know. 
Peter I must not have been looking at the same angry Gwen that we were. <laughs> Peter probably was just teasing or playing or uh, or playing a bluff, not realizing the severity of what he said. And Gwen that, always that, ignores Gwen always ignores Flash when he comes. I think Peter was like just being really um, kind of yeah. laid back. I don't, I don't I don't think he's like he's like oh I'm, I'll just say she's a. Uh, She's all gorgeous when she's angry without really thinking. I, I think she was just being easy breezy, laid back. Well, I think that Stan was just forgetting, you know, what he's already established because Peter has had no indication that Gwen likes him over the past few issues. So when he says, huh, when a fella drools over you. A female drools, yeah. But, um, and also, she doesn't bring she never brings up the fact that, oh, she, he's a coward. She never brings that up again, which really annoyed me in the last issue. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever he runs away during the, uh, when the looter is. Raiding the museum, and he Peter runs out to be Spider Man, and Gwen's like, "Oh, he must be a coward. <sighs> he didn't try and stop the looter. <laughs> <laughs> Superman is attacking, and, and he's running away." Peter Parker, Galactus was attacking the city, and where were you? Godzilla <laughs> hit Tokyo what, while what, you were in Japan, and you flew away first. What place. Peter needs clearly is Doris Evans. If Doris and Gwen would just switch places, all would be right in the world. Yeah, <laughs> that would be another case of like the Marvel you exploding. But, uh, <laughs> Hi, my name is Doris Evans. I just, but like th- that comes back because in uh, in Conway's run or the later half of I think it was I know the later exactly half what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, we're like flash yeah, we're we're like yeah, it was it was the end of Lee's run where like Peter runs off. Gwen's like, no, everyone says you're a coward, and I won't believe it. Stay with me and prove that you're not a coward. Well, Peter didn't help Lee by saying, Gwen. Stay here. I got things to do. Right after the, an, an entire room exploded, <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna go. Gonna go. Um, make sure my iron's off. Bye. <laughs> Gotta you go. have fun in this exploding room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was a fun issue. Oh, Gwen, she's just an angry freshman here. Peter is wearing this stylish yellow vest throughout this issue. Yeah, I like the yellow vest. Um, in a way that I would never wear it. but um, <laughs> <laughs> He's even wearing it with a different shirt. I did notice like how whenever he was doing his science, he took his vest off, and as he was leaving campus, he had it draped over his shoulder. Because that's you, classy. If you, think, if you think this is stylish, you should see his stuff in the uh, the drug arc. He, he's, a, he's straight a pimp in those, in those ones. <laughs> this is like uh, what Josh said. This is a, uh, a backwards, very important issue, but as it stands, it's also entertaining because you're, you are learning things about the established mythology right now, as well as stuff that will they'll, they'll be important way down the road. So I think this is pretty... This is like one of those ones after the the um, uh, Master Planner where the majority of the issues are kind of nothing to write home about, but this one isn't. This one is a worthwhile issue. I, I was having an exactly similar thought as you were talking, is that since Master Planner, you can't say all the issues could be just removed because there are follow-ups to some of the events, but uh, okay. this is the only one that's really worthwhile to the overall meta plot of the series and it was you know it was good the ads in this book well before i do the comic book ads the inside cover ad of this book exclusive fun products by mail grow seven monsters yeah, i was looking at that it's a great Thrill. drawing thrills and chills await you when you see seven amazing plant creatures come to life all seven for only one dollar so i don't know if they're like condensed sponges I bet that's what they are, those little growy sponge things. Yeah. Like sea monkeys? Maybe. It says, seven giant monsters in full glowing color grow fantastic plant hair alive before your eyes. Each grows up to several months. Oh, that must be something else, then. Yeah, it's not a sponge thing, then. It's something else. It's like a Chia Pet. It is a Chia Pet. It's a 1966 Chia Pet. 
That's what it is. Use your planting wand and your observation lens and extra large supply of guaranteed live monster hair seeds. For a dollar, plus 25 cents postage. That's pretty (laughs) awesome. Um, But the house ad page for this issue has two halves to it. On the top half, we see Fantastic Four 51, this man, this monster. Oh, yes. (laughs) My favorite title. The thing is once again fighting sadness over the fact that he can't be Ben Grimm anymore. And that he has to buy such large underwear. Is that, the, is that the issue where like, the, like the, the, there's like a fake Ben Grimm who, sacri- who sacrifices his life at the end? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have read that issue. That, I thought that's really good. It is good. It's following up on the, on the Galactus trilogy, you know, which is pretty epic. And so it kind of brings things down to a more personal level with Ben. But they actually did the whole sad Ben thing quite a few times close no, together really. in that era. And I was getting kind of tired of it. But that's okay. <clears throat> there's also Fantasy Masterpieces 2 which reprinted the original Jack Kirby Fin Fang Foom story and a couple other oldies from the Golden Age of Marvel. And by that, we mean 1960. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years ago. <laughs> and it costs us nothing to produce this issue, so... So we're going to charge you a quarter. <laughs> but the lower half of the page has a big advert for the Daredevil book we just discovered. And don't miss this spectacular Spidey faces Daredevil in one of the most exciting issues of DD ever to hit the stands. It's that old time Marvel magic, bolder, bouncier, and better than ever. So that's pretty cool. The pose for uh, Spider-Man there is the one from the second annual cover that will eventually go up into the top left corner of the books. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, the Daredevil pose is, I don't know exactly where that's from, and it's a pretty pretty iconic Daredevil pose. And we have all the good stuff, like the Hypnocoin and Pac-Man's dad trying to get you to go into business, and there's the Darling Pet Monkey, which I really want. That's all Polaris really good. Nuclear Sub. Do we have a Polaris Nuclear Sub in this one? Yeah. We so do! Yes, Polaris Nuclear Sub. <laughs> ah, everybody! <laughs> Over seven feet long. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Big enough for two kids. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, no. Sorry. Uh, just... uh, There's your Lily in the other room. What does that mean, Daddy? From <laughs> <laughs> John Mattel. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see. Check out the features seats, two kids, rockets that fire. Uh, for only seven dollars and it's a <laughs> nuclear sub i mean let's not just give them a, a hand pistol let's not just give them you know a hand grenade let's give them a nuclear sub to play with <laughs> we, we want people to die that's what we were advertising so yes awesome ads and then in the marvel bullpen bulletins we have greater groovier goofier goodies than ever gathered from the four corners of marveldom and here we have, uh, how about that? Marvel Collector's Item Classics is such a thunderous sensation that you've been clamoring for more of the same. Well, you know us. We're not going to leave you faithful, frantic ones crying in the streets. And so, we're planning to make our former annual mag, Marvel Tales, also a bi-monthly, just like MCIC. We haven't set an on-sale date for it yet, but keep watching this column and your newsstands. It won't be long now. No, no, don't embarrass us with profuse thanks. We're glad to do it. It's a pleasure. Being kids at heart, we love playing with glue pots and scissors and cutting up old mags and pasting them together again with tender, loving care. And you know something? We enjoy looking back at these old neo-classics of a few years back ourselves. It's a blast to compare the stories and art with today's towering triumphs. Talk about nostalgia. Wow. So he's comparing 1960s art with 1960s art and thinking it's really awesome. 
<laughs> they were He's really high on themselves. Like even like man, it's like you know, Marvel's 70th anniversary, which is always disputed for some reason. But even back then, like within months, they're like, look at our history. But the reason that's pretty important for us is because Marvel Tales is the Spider-Man reprint book. So it is, it is now being planned to move from uh, an annual book to a bi-monthly book. To yes, exactly. And then we have an advert for the Daredevil books. Don't dare miss the first guest appearance in months of your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's co-starred in Daredevil number 16 on sale at the beginning of March. And you'll stand up and cheer when you see the brilliant interpretation that jazzy Johnny Ramita gives to everybody's favorite web spinner. It's one of the high spots of an already sensation-packed comic season. And the last thing I want to bring... I'm not going to read all of it because it's kind of long, but let's see what we can do. Some loyal Marvelites have expressed concern over the fact that although we were once tolerant of our competition, we now seem to be openly critical of them. And we feel we owe you an explanation for this definite change of policy. In a nutshell, the situation is this. As you know, Marvel has spent years trying to upgrade the art of comic magazines, for an art it truly is, every bit as much as the cinema, the legitimate stage, or any other form of creative expression. We don't resent competition, indeed we welcome it, but we do resent shabby, carelessly produced, badly written and drawn, conscienceless imitations of our Marvel mags. Imitations which are callously lacking in quality, and which are produced for the sole purpose of making a fast profit in the very field which they themselves are helping to keep at the bottom of the artistic totem pole. Whoa. Ouch. We've been flooded with indignant letters from readers who have bought issues of the various brand X now on sale and have been shocked at the undisguised effort these opportunists have made to confuse the public into believing that their titles are the same as Marvel's. One such company has gone so far as to change its name and trademark so that the reader might think it truly is a Marvel publication. What was that, Move Out? Yeah, does it, do you know who he's talking about? I don't. It's, I, don't I imagine it's not DC. I don't know if it's Fawcett or Charlton or just say Whitson. I have no idea. But it's it's pretty harsh words here, and I'm thinking that the the digs at DC are intended probably good naturedly, but that there's lots of other you know low-name comic companies that are doing things a bit more below the belt. But some some of their digs at Brandeck have come off pretty harshly, and so I'm just kind of surprised that. He's actually coming out and saying, you know what? We have fun, but there's some really jerks, some real big jerks out there. So anyways, that was the Marvel Bullpen Bulletin for this issue. I find that kind of annoying. I, like the whole quote-unquote rivalry with, with, with comic companies. I find that kind of, like, I don't know, a waste of time. <laughs> it's like, don't buy theirs, buy us. I mean, it's like it's like it's, it's basically like the competition between two hot dog stands. So, I don't know. Yeah, I liked, I liked their initial approach where they were like, you know, we try to put out the best product we want. We can put out. We want you to buy our stuff, but at the same time, we're not going to put down another company. I really liked that approach. The other thing is that so many of the people are the same. That Jack Kirby was one, and then he was the other. They pulled Johnny Ramita off of DC's romances to put him on Marvel superheroes. So you can't make fun of the other company because they're your same guys. <laughs> exactly. They have been, or they will be. And then we have some merchandise that you can buy with the Marching Society. And in the Spider's Web, okay, this first letter describes a silly appearance of Spidey on television that I thought was kind of cute. Dear Stan, this is a Chris Gorley writing from New York, New York, as opposed to the other New York and, you know, Oregon. Makes sense. Yeah. As I was sitting in my living room after finishing a marvelous dinner and watching my boob tube, I got an interesting surprise. My co-idol with Spidey 
Soupy Sales was wrapping up his show with a man-at-the-door scene. In it, the man knocked at the door and asked Soupy for help. Why, he said. My wife thinks she's Spider-Man. I thought to myself, it's got to be someone else. But the bit continues with Soupy asking the man why he didn't take his wife to a psychiatrist. Because, says the man, I can't get her off the cardboard. And he swings in one of your fantabulous pinups of Spidey mounted on cardboard. I thought it was a funny gag, but also you know, <laughs> Spider-Man's making it onto Soupy Sales, which was pretty neat. Evidently, Marvel got a whole lot of letters about that, too, when they saw it. The Marvel Enterprise is growing. Soup cardboard. Bill Dargan writes, Dear Stan, Spidey used to be number one on my list, but now I'll take the FF any day over Mr. Webspinner. I have enough worries of my own without seeing Spidey get so psyched out each month. First it's <laughs> Betty, then it's Aunt May, next there'll be midterm exams. Why don't you just turn Juggernaut loose on Spidey and get it over with? That'll calm him down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, like 200 issues? 200 issues later. Great idea, Billy Boy. Spidey versus Juggernaut. Why didn't we think of that? I think you've commented on this, Josh, before, how towards the end of Steve Ditko's run, everyone was just getting more and more angry at each other, and, and life was just becoming a very sad place to be. Dude, like, seriously, Gwen's like, ah, Peter Fosh is like, ooh, I'm gonna get my hands on you. Norman's like, shut <laughs> up. Norman's like, shut up, boy. And Jonah's like, Parker, you... Well, Jonah was always angry. I'm not paying you for no reason. <laughs> and then those college kids are like, huh, Peter didn't even turn around as we called him from the streets. Parker! <laughs> <laughs> Not only are they angry, but they're angry for the most dumbass reasons. Yeah. So the, even the readers are starting to clue in on that. Here we have Fred Weiss voting, or Weiss, or some weird name, voting for Spidey unmasking to Dr. Connors. He thinks <laughs> that Spider-Man should take him into his confidence, but then he loses points for referring to him as the Lizard Man. Dr. Connors would leave and go to Florida, you know, never see again. He would come back and they would just pretend it never happened. He'll he'll take him into his confidence, but it'll happen due to a due to a continuity error off panel. I, I know what you're talking about with the um, what was that thing called anyway? Like, with the with the crazy cover. Okay, yeah, like there was um, there was when, this. Weird, when are y'all talking about? I think it is. Is it Quality of Life? Was that yes. that miniseries? Yeah, like where it's it's a lizard miniseries where Martha Connors dies, and there's one panel where like Peter Parker sees Doctor Connors, and he's like sorry about before. Which was kind of like a vague thing, and Paul Jenkins is like, oh, okay, so Dr. Connors and Peter know who each other are, got it. So he did a spectacular Spider-Man story, which was so bad that everybody's just, like, forgotten that it existed, where it was revealed that all along Dr. Connors was controlling the lizard, and it wasn't like the lizard was his dominant personality, Connors was just being a dick. (laughs) They didn't even try and retcon that, they just, like, ignored it the next time that there was a story. They were like, um, oh, Connors can't control the lizard. It's it's like the, um, the reboot origin, no one... They just ignore it. Yeah, but in that story, Connors and uh, Parker were like talking their civilian identities, and he knew who Spider-Man was. And Jenkins went online or in some interview saying that, that that was a mistake of his because of the quality of life miniseries. He took that thread and ran with it. And so, I think that's a. I think I don't think it's a bad idea because they're they're so they've been allies for so long. I don't think that Connors knowing Peter's identity would would hurt it at all. Right. I mean, and he's known him as Peter too because of uh, graduate school and such. Right. In the in the 90s series, he eventually found out because they had to test to see which one was the real clone and which one was Ben Riley. What? Yeah. Do, do, do you remember when Ben Ben Riley's giving his uh, a flashback? You know, the only, the only one we could turn to is Doctor Kurt Connors, and he's unmasked as the Sp- Scarlet Spider. So at some point, he reveals his identity to, to Doctor Connors. Oh, okay. I guess. 
I, <laughs> I never really thought about that. Again, this is me having not seen the Spider the nineties animated series yet. You uh, it's crap. Don't, don't look at it. Which you would think yeah, that twenty five episodes. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but you think after twenty five episodes of this show, I would have finally gotten around to sitting down to watch it? But no, I haven't. Closing out the letters column, Richard Gonzalez and John Mumos of Laredo, Texas. I have a friend there. They want to know more about Peter's parents. So I wrote them a letter and said, "Be patient, guys. Only two and a half more years to wait." And there's one... They want to know if he has a sister, too. Yes. Does he have a sister? Does she have spider powers? Where does that come from, him having sisters? Uh, I, I don't think it does. Oh, he's so everyone knows this. Peter Parker has sisters. You have, <laughs> a twin, you have a twin sister. Your feelings have now betrayed her, too. Did you say betrayed her, too? Yeah. <laughs> clear on that. <laughs> it's Betty Brandt. <laughs> oh, oh, how ironic. Oh, my sister, oh. my lover. <laughs> oh, but we slept together that one time, and uh, Peter, <laughs> I knew you had a secret. <laughs> a deep, dark secret lurking within. <laughs> well, so did you. So the Page House mob from California Institute of Technology writes, "Dear Stan, what have you done? All these years, we of Caltech have assumed that when the greatest hero of all time graduated from high school, he would naturally go to the greatest college in the universe, Caltech." But if you weren't the greatest story writer of all time, we'd say you made a great mistake. Empire State University? No, no, a thousand times no. And I'm being all dramatic because they're typing in caps. They go through and talk about how Caltech would be awesome for Spider-Man. And and nowhere in the letter do they mention that ESU is not real. There you go, Josh. In your eyes. (laughs) It's still not real. It's still not real. (laughs) <laughs> Next ish warning it's gonna be a real kooky one. Our extra powerful supervillain is a brand new, grand new pussycat. Also, you'll see the mysteriously sinister Mr. Osborne again, as our strange little plot grows ever more absorbing. To sum it up, Spider Man number thirty eight is gonna be another Marvel milestone issue and we'll cry ourselves to sleep if you miss it. So keep your webs untangled and face front. We'll be looking for you next ish. There's Next's only that. one reason why it's a milestone issue. It has nothing to do with the content of the fictional story. Yes. Mary that's Jane true. shows up. Yeah, but that's not... Jenner's Gazungas. Yeah, she is sort of in a nice profile shot there, isn't she? Ned Leeds comes back. Ooh, Ned Leeds comes back. Well, that obviously is the zinger that's going to make you want to come back for more Amazing Spider-Man classics coming your way in about ten days. Next episode, we are going to have the second half of the Daredevil story in Daredevil number 17... And then we will have the final issue of Steve Ditko's run on Amazing Spider-Man with issue number 38. Jim will be returning with us to look at those issues, and I invite you to come back and check them out with us. If you want to send us an email, let us know what you think about the show. We will be doing an email segment very soon. The email address is AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. Just about every email that we receive does make it on the air, so if you want to have your comments addressed, please feel free to write. You can also contact the show by going to our website, AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com, and leaving a comment on the show posting there. If you want to stay in steady communication with the show, feel free to check us out on Facebook. There's a link from the website, AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com. You can like us there, uh, post on the wall get updates when new episodes are released, and all that sort of fun sort of thing. Look for next episode on or about the 20th of the month. And until then, my name is John Wilson, and thank you very much for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. 
in association with SpidermanCrawlspace.com. Good night. Two glasses of water, a Dr. Pepper, and some whiskey. <laughs> Sounds like you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to have all my beverage options available. Yeah, that was before the internet. <laughs> that, was before, that was before Josh and Don. <laughs> <laughs> when were y'all born? 85. 89. Oh, wow. It was almost <laughs> before Don. You were born in 89? <laughs> I didn't know we were the old ones on here. <laughs> Tell me what it was like when everything was in black and white. (laughs) (laughs) We started reading the first Spider-Man comic that I bought was cover dated November 1990. Oh, yeah. It matched his yellow streak. What what an insult that is. Oh, that's totally the sort of thing that he should have said, too. Oh, he did say it there. What am I talking about? (laughs) Yeah. As a a matter of fact. (laughs) I'm just going to edit that out and make myself sound smart. Don made the good joke. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I ruined the joke, but yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I just I have not seen very much Family Guy because my wife doesn't like to watch it, which means I don't get to watch it very often. Oh, did you, <laughs> did you leave your vagina in your purse? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. I should say, did you leave? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll try that again. Let's, let's do a second take. <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs>